Exciting day for the Indiana Pacers yesterday, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Bruce Brown officially introduced as an Indiana Pacer. Tyrese Halliburton puts pen to paper on that rookie extension that he received in one of the most luxurious contracts the Pacers have ever doled out. Money, money, money. Nothing wrong with that. He had a lot of similar gifs and reactions on Twitter. (laughs) after the contract was announced last week, and then obviously able to finally get a signature down and be locked in with the Indiana Pacers over the next six seasons, five-year extension, but still has one year underneath that original deal in the trade from Sacramento. And now it's business time. Not to say that we can't still have a fun rest of the summer. The offseason is very, very young in the NBA, but now this story shifts from Happy that Tyrese Halliburton was able to achieve what every young child that wants to play professional sports dreams, which is generational, life-changing money. He has that now and is committed, at least everything that he said publicly, to being an Indiana Pacer and building things the right way. And now it's time to see where we go from here. Yeah, I thought it was awesome to see him get emotional about his mom. Mm-hmm. Love mom. That was great. He seems like he was grazed by a great family overall. And then also when the comment was made that he'll be here for the next six years, he's like, hopefully longer than that. I'm like, man, like that's stuff you want to hear. But there be are some with those words. I was gonna say, there are some cynical Pacers fans out there who are like, wait a second. The last guy we extended said this. But yeah. I think in the moment, it's a great, great get. Obviously, there's no team option as well. So. They get to keep him, no player option, I'm sorry. Yep. They get to keep him for all six years, so he's going to be here for quite some time until his late 20s and hopefully longer than that, like he said. And I think, like you said, it shifts, but you feel good about the direction of the team because, again, this was something that wasn't really in our viewpoint two years ago. And the aside from him on hopefully longer, too, like on the one hand, it it makes me – cringe for a second because of the PTSD of previous Pacers over the last five, ten years where there's been similar sentiment had and then it doesn't have a happy ending. So on the one hand, that's my initial thought is no, Tyrese, don't do it because if you ever decide that you want to go somewhere else, the worst of us will have that audio clip to be ready to roll with it and oh be like, oh, gosh. but you said you were staying here forever. Honestly, Jimmy, if you have that on your mind after yesterday. It was the first thing that popped like, in my head when I heard it. When I heard it, I won't lie to you. It was the first. See, this is why. I won't lie to you. We need success here in Indiana when it comes to <laughs> basketball because it drives us nuts. Like, I don't want you to live like that, Jimmy. I care about you, man. I, I, I want appreciate for that. You. I, I care about you, too. <laughs> and look, again, it was, it was in my head that I'm like, well, it's five years from now. Let, let's see where things go. Let's see a fair shot at this team building what they want to be, which now that you have the foundational cornerstone locked in, now it shifts to making sure the pieces that you have built around him are the championship caliber pieces that you envision. Because in theory, at least right now, Tyrese Halliburton, as you're mapping out three, four, five years from now where this team is, you would hope he is one of, if not the best player on this roster. Now, an argument could be made that perhaps because of the draft capital that was used, Benedict Matherin is right there with him and is taking that step for step, stride by stride of being a 1A and 1B, and this is another great duo within the NBA. 
those are the only real pieces on this roster you can look at definitively and think five years from now, yeah, I would hope those two players are still on the roster. It's tough to map out where Miles Turner is going to be in five years. It's tough to fully map out where somebody like Obi Toppin, who was just acquired and, and is, you know, going to be a piece for this team that is a tryout deal almost, where if the Pacers don't like what they see, they can move off of him rather easily without any financial penalty because he only has one year left before restricted free agency. Or if it works out, you can retain him. But when you look big picture long term, I guess you could throw Jairus Walker in there because he's going to be on the first year of a rookie deal. But it's hard to map out how many changes the franchise can overgo in five years. And if you are to map it out, you would hope that the two youngest pieces or two of the youngest pieces are a part of that future moving forward. And one is going to be. One is definitively going to be because you have him signed under contract now, team control for six seasons. Absolutely. I think that's a huge, huge get again because of what it means for the city and to have someone who's definitively, in my opinion, one of the best players in the NBA. I don't think this is a situation where, and I don't want to go like too far with it, but sometimes guys get extended because you're sort of forced to and you're kind of put up against it, and you don't really know. It's like, okay, we kind of have to do this. I don't think this was a have-to thing for the Pacers. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, Zion Williamson, great, great, great player, hasn't been healthy, hasn't been available, and the Pelicans probably felt like, huh, we kind of have to do this because we've invested so much into him, so we'll pay him. But I don't know if they felt great about doing it, whereas the Pacers did it, and they have to feel really good about it because of the – one, the availability. He's been there. I know he was injured last year for a stretch there, but he's been there. He's been available. He's been playing, been playing well. And so that seemed like something that was more of a um, want than a, oh, my gosh, uh, here we go. I guess we have to do this or we have to do that. But the other cynical part in me, Jimmy, while I'm getting on you, <laughs> and shout out to my boy Tony East. He tweeted out, yeah, this is great for the team. He doesn't have a player option. doesn't have a team option. It's just a straight-up contract, whatever. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Wimby, I mean, not Wimby, uh, a Wendy style, Brian Windhorst. Sure. Like, what does that mean? Because we <laughs> see Damian Lillard, for example, sign for a lot of money. There's not options in that either, and he's forcing his way out. And I'm not saying Halliburton would ever do that, but as you kind of alluded to, let's enjoy it now because you never know what the future holds. And so part of me was like, oh, man, the NBA is the league where, in my opinion, and, and I don't know other feel, how others feel about this, I just don't think that a contract is ever – you're going to be here for the length of that contract. I never think that, especially in the NBA, because if you're a star player, everyone always says, oh, how can they move that guy? Where are they going to get in return? They always get moved anyway. So that's the other caveat. But let's keep it positive. Let's keep positive. Sure. No, and I'm not saying that <laughs> it has to be all positive. That's a very real aspect of this that needs to be acknowledged. The one positive with it, though, is that he's 23 years old. He has the long-term financial security that – Again, players dream of and seek oh my throughout gosh, their entire yes. careers. And even if we're a going devil's advocate and say it, it doesn't work out, and by not working out, I mean that over the next six seasons, and maybe some Pacers fans would want me to go further than this, but over the next six seasons, they are not a threat, not just an appearance, but a threat in a conference final. And, and I think I that think might even fair. be too low. I think that's fair. But you're looking at where they were a decade ago, the last time the Pacers were involved in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Paul George, the Roy Hibbert, 
the George, the George Hill, the David West era of these Pacers. Yeah, it was a decade ago. And wow. nine years ago since the last one when they lost in 2014. So if I'm mapping out five to six seasons from now, I probably am being too low with that. But yes, not working out would be flameouts in the early rounds of the playoffs or consistently middle of the conference and never really making much noise other than perhaps a playoff series win, which a lot of fans would take given that there's a long drought there of six years since they've won a playoff. Or, no, it's it's been longer than that. It's been nine years since they won a playoff series. The last time they were in the playoffs, 2017, you're wanting to get over that hump and win a playoff series. Some fans would take that. But I'm talking about as you map out this contract, yes, I would like to see them at least in the conference finals. And if that doesn't happen, that's a failure. Again, we're hard, we're trying to map out six seasons of basketball here. He's 29 years old. And I'm, at that point, he's still at the... Like, Dame right now, what, 31? 33. 33. 33 this month. So that's, that's, Giannis is 29. Correct. You know. And you're just looking at where players end up with the ability to, okay, I've tried with this organization i've given it my all now it's time to look elsewhere okay that's something that happens to players in their late late 20s in their early 30s because it's time to move on that's the worst side of this cookie in my mind barring you know things going south in a way that would be mismanagement by the front office which i just don't see right now but i think that's a good problem honestly it is exactly because you're building in the right direction you have goals tangible goals you should get to so i do agree that within the six-year window they should be in the conference finals, shooting for that goal, obviously, to get to the finals and obviously compete for a championship. But I definitely think that being in the Final Four, which is what the conference finals is, is a goal. It should be a tangible goal, given how you've built the team so far and what you hope to continue to build in the future. Now, the question to me becomes, because I put it out there as soon as he signed the extension, or actually not, it was him, and then I saw the Bruce Brown move in Obi Top, and I was like, the Pacers are making the playoffs this season. I think they're going to be a top six seed. Okay, I was going to ask you because that's my big clarifier. People yeah. throw around the word playoffs yeah, like no, it's, I think you know, it's five offs. years ago. Yeah, not, it not needs to be in, offs, not, not in. Exactly. Yeah, offs. Yes. You know, get get a little rest there. <laughs> I think they should be a playoff team this upcoming season. Number one, but the thing with the Pacers outside of the Reggie Miller era is, can they take that final step to really contend? And so I don't know where they go from here to get that extra piece, and maybe it is. Tyrese Halliburton sort of wrecking the league and showing everyone, you know, could he be, you know, after Steph Curry, one of the better guards, one of the best point guards in the NBA? Could he be viewed um, as a guy who can lead you to a conference finals? Can he be viewed as a guy who will be perennially a 20 and 10 guy and last year wasn't, you know, his peak? And I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, can he do that to the point where he's looked at not only as you know, right now, one of the best young players, sort of an uh, unknown rising star, I would say, to like the general NBA fan outside of Indiana. But can he become a household name? And if that's the case, if he can get to that level, then I think he could probably entice somebody to come play for him and play with him. I, I, I just think that's a possibility because if that's the case, they, the sky's the limit. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, getting excited just talking about it because it would be really cool to see you know, playoff basketball, really good high-level basketball here in Indiana. But I just wonder, like, okay, I love Tyrese. I think he's a really good player, really good person as well. But, man, the NBA is hard to win in without having that co-star or maybe even a better player to come play with him. That's I'm like, okay, what are the Pacers thinking about of how to acquire that guy? Is it through the draft? You know, because I don't think they're going to be that bad again where they get a high enough draft pick to draft a player who – 
would immediately come in and be a young star and in two to three years be a superstar. I, they're not going to be bad enough for that. That's why it has to have already happened with Benedict Matherin. That is ah, why the easiest okay. pathway, and that's what I was yeah. mentioning earlier, is that, yeah. again, just a rookie season behind him. Yeah. You yeah. look at the, and again, I know this is a name that people around town are, are tired of hearing about and don't like to hear it, and that's fine, but you look at the most recent players within the history Sorry. of the franchise, and like you look at Paul George's growth as a player, you eventually saw that leap. And I don't want to say it necessarily happened overnight, but you saw it by about year three or year four of, wow, okay, this a really special talent that is a part of this core that we want to build around. And maybe Tyrese Halliburton is that face right now, but you're exactly right, James. I don't know if they're going to be a team the next season, even, that's going to be back within the lottery. As they're building this team right now, this is not a roster, if you ask anybody over at Gambridge Fieldhouse, that is going to be making a top five selection next year. They believe and they hope this is a team that's able to get them back into the postseason conversation and maybe as high as the playoffs next year. So, yeah, I don't know that they're going to be bad enough to hit another home run on a or make it easier, make it an easier bat for them getting a top five, top 10 pick versus being towards the back half of that. And unless you have, to your point, a player like Tyrese Halliburton that can attract other players to a destination they might not have gone to otherwise. Unless that happens, you need it to happen from within, and the most logical piece to make that leap that would benefit the Pacers the most is Benedict Mather, in my mind. Absolutely. But also, on like a little bit of a side note, mm-hmm. what if Bruce Brown comes out and has a career year playing next to Tyrese Halliburton? I'm not saying that <laughs> is going to be like what gets him over the top, but can that be something that you can utilize as like a swaying point down the line to say, hey, when this guy came here... We paid him, and he got better alongside this guy and had the best year of his career. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that is, at least statistically, what happens to Bruce Brown where he has a career high in shooting percentage or scoring or things like that where he looks at it like, man, I came here and I made the right choice because this guy knows how to just make my life easier. I think the best players do that. And so we'll see how that goes. Now, I do remember, and I don't want to get anybody too – I already brought up Paul George's name, so I don't know how else, how else you could take this stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a positive thing. Oh, okay. Last summer league, when I first saw Benedict Matherin play in live action, I was talking to Ronald Norred, you know, the former Pacers assistant coach, mm-hmm. now with, I believe you said Atlanta, right? Or where did he go? I'm trying to remember. Ronald Norred? I can't I think I think so. I can't remember um, offhand. We'll yeah, check that. Yeah, with, with, with uh, Quinn Snyder. But anyways. Yep. Yes. The uh, comparison he made to Benedict Matherin was Dwayne Wade. And I was like, okay. If he can be seventy five percent of that, seventy percent, that's a really good player. Now I, I consider Dwayne Wade to be the third best shooting guard ever. Um, maybe fourth if you want to put Jerry West ahead of him. Obviously the first two would be MJ and, and Kobe. But my point is, if he can be like a perennial all star type of guy, then yes, I do think that benefits you in the long run, and you might be able to have that homegrown talent to get you to a place where you can contend. And and in my opinion, you obviously have the teams that are – you would pick to be like favorites to win or whatever. I don't know if I would ever see the Pacers be favored in like a finals or something like that. But you want to see them have a legit shot, which is what everyone is chasing because we say this every year. 
this guy's going to be the best or this guy's going to be better or this team's going to be the best. But injuries happen, things like that happen, trades happen, guys get older. Sometimes, you know, the player you were the year before isn't the player you are now. So you want to just give yourself a shot to be in the thick of it and then let the chips fall where they may because you never really know how it could go. I know a couple years ago, I didn't think that the Suns had enough to get to the finals, and they did. And this was obviously pre-Kevin Durant. And people were like, oh, well, they only got there because of this injuries. Who cares? Getting there, <laughs> I mean, you think Giannis cares about winning a championship and it, because other guys were hurt or injured? That's part no. of the playoffs. I mean, that's... I mean, and, exact, and, and the same thing happened with Miami. They, they caught a break with Milwaukee. Giannis missed a couple, missed a couple games. The, obviously, Jimmy went nuclear and they won. But, again, you want to just give yourself a chance to be in the thick of it and have a legit shot to win it all. And so, not going to be there next year. I would just caution all the Pacers fans out there. However, I do think, again, playoffs, not play-in, should be the goal. Even if it is the play-in, just get into the playoffs. Get into a seven-game series and then see where you can go from there. But I just think that, I mean, I'll be honest, I do think that if they miss the playoffs next year, that will be a failed season. Considering what you've invested in Tyrese Halliburton, the pieces you've added this offseason, and the direction you're going in. We, of course... Don't need to say it, but just for the sake of it, the injuries when they get involved, I mean, that can complicate things, and you're willing to make an exception there depending on who the injured piece is. But otherwise, this is a team that is able to remain fully healthy and take the stride you think they should. Yes, this should be a team that, from a natural growth standpoint and what they've invested so far this offseason, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin on the way, you would hope this is a team that's able to crack the Eastern Conference, especially when you look at all of the changes that have happened within the conference just within teams that were in the playoffs a year ago the other thing I want to bring up and Eddie Garrison had brought this up yesterday to me after the show which is when you're looking at where all NBA lists are and you're looking at who on this Pacers team is a potential candidate for that the one that would impact the most from a financial standpoint of course is Tyrese Halliburton and the way that contract is the language is constructed on there. You're looking at players that are there right now, and this is going to change next year because it's positionless, so it'll be our first year to see how much harder is it for specific position players that might only be there because of the fact that the positions were assigned versus this next voting cycle, it's going to be a positionless All-NBA. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry... Only of those names to this point that I've read, one or two of them, maybe he could bump out or leapfrog if that. Donovan Mitchell, LeBron James, Julius Randle, DeMontis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard. That was all NBA last year. Three, maybe four names of all those that I listed that he could potentially sneak in there with. I agree with that, but he also has, and this is just brutally honest, his odds got at least slightly better because John Morant has automatically been eliminated from All-NBA contention sure. because he's got the suspension where I believe um, you can't miss more than 17 games next right. year. you got to play at least 65. So that's, and that's also something to keep in mind with Tyrese. you want got to be healthy enough to play all the games or at least play 65 of them to get you know eligible. But I think what helps his chances of making All-NBA is that all of you, these guys you listed – Outside of Luca, who is just otherworldly, and, and he gets a lot of respect for that, and, and Shea as well, um, SGA, who played out of his mind last year and took a massive leap, the playoff success, getting to the playoffs, 
you know, helps you so much when it comes to the individual accolades. And I think for a small market team and a small market guy, it helps a lot with Tyrese because, again, they're going to they might try to find more holes in his candidacy as opposed to a person that is like a household name like Luca or Dame or somebody. So if they're able to get into that, let's say they're a, they're a fifth seed or something like that. I think that there's a legitimate argument to be made because to, to me, he would have to be playing at an all NBA caliber level. Now, if he gets it, that's another story. He would have to be at that level, yeah. I think. And so um, I know this is his mindset. If the team success happens, the individual stuff will follow. And so that is something where I think that he could have a chance to sneak in there. And again, you never really know how these things shake out because of injuries with number one. And then number two, you know, if guys take a step back or take a step forward, because of the guys you mentioned, the only ones that I would say are like guaranteed locks every year to be all NBA are like, you know, Luca, Jason Tatum, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Steph, LeBron, Jokic. Like, I wouldn't say that Butler is a perennial yeah, all-NBA guy. I wouldn't say Julius Randle or DeMontis Sabonis are, like, perennial all-NBA guys. And so that's where I'm like, you know, again, it helps, like you said, where they have positionless things. Because to me, if Tyrese has, like, the even the identical season he had last year where he's 20-10 and 10 and shooting 40% from three, but he plays more games and they make the playoffs – this city will riot if he's not all NBA because that is in, like <laughs> yeah his his efficiency is what sets him apart from other great guards in the NBA and so I don't think you can lead potentially like I think he might have been number two or three in assists per game this year behind James Harden and whoever else on that list but I can't see a world where he's twenty ten forty percent from three they make the playoffs and you're telling me that there's fifteen other guys in the NBA who are better than him. So it has to kind of yeah. go, you know how it is with small markets. Everything has to sort of align because I know that there's always going to be that knock on you because the other factor, which people don't want to admit sometimes, is they don't play a lot of national TV games. They'll probably get more this year. But if they don't, ha- they don't see you, like the box score watching has to be yeah. like enough to at least get you in the conversation. We looked at where the roster's at over the last couple of weeks, and now you can get a clearer picture of it with the major moves the Pacers were going to make within free agency, within this offseason, likely in the rear view. But you mentioned who's going to be a part of this core and who are you really having as another foundational piece along with Tyrese Halliburton and the struggles that small market teams often have when trying to have sustained success and build things the proper way and more often than not it's done through the draft in smaller markets you can look no further than to our south with memphis jaron jackson jr desmond bain i mean john morant that trio right there alone is when you're looking at hitting on pieces that mesh well together you're hoping that same thing happens with the extension now to tyrese halliburton bennett matherin jaris walker i mean again that that's mapping things out year over year ideally here, but, yeah that's what you but want. from an ideal standpoint you want to see as this thing grows together that the draft picks particularly the first round selections you made you not only hit on but you build around with a core that flows well together that is a formidable force around the eastern conference if that's legitimate goal of 
making a conference finals and beyond over the life of this Tyrese Halliburton deal. And that's not to say the roster can't change. And like you mentioned, Bruce Brown's only 26 years old. He has continued to grow year over year. If he's able to make an immediate impact or have a similar influence that he had in Denver, I won't go as far as to say it's going to get them into the conference finals next year by any means, but it expedites where you want this rebuild to be and increases where your real floor is as a team next year. Absolutely. 100%. I think that not only for him, it's the same thing with Obi Toppin. If he can come in and have a breakout season and sort of establish himself as a legitimate role player in the NBA, that would be huge, not only for him. I want more than just highlight plays from him, and I know he does too. this, This is a fresh start regardless of where he is in the rotation or where he ends up. We, we talked about a Dan Purcell earlier this week, and it's common knowledge around the NBA how tough it is with Tom Thibodeau to be able to gain minutes in that system and play for that man because he... he Can we he talk is, about uh, how he he coaches basketball like it's Hoosiers? Yes. I'm just like, dude, what is going on? Why are all these guys playing a ton of minutes? You know, their bodies break down in the play. They look so gassed in the playoffs. But, I mean, credit to him, they did win around in the playoffs this year. It, it works to some extent. Because, and but, I'm not going to disparage fully against him. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it's, no. Tough. it's just it, it's funny tough. because... Out of all the series I watched in the playoffs, and I watched them all, that Knicks-Cavs series was like something out of like the 90s with how brutal yes. it was, the low scores, the bad shooting, and his teams just went ugly most of the time. But you wonder, again, like you said, when you have an environment like that where you're so attached to certain guys playing certain roles, playing certain minutes, you know, was that the, the proper environment for Obi Toppin to succeed in? And again... I think it's very rare for a player to be able to succeed in any environment. And so it's a little bit different when you're a role player, obviously. And so maybe a change of scenery, coming to Indiana, having more opportunity to to play because they need his size as well defensively. Maybe that unlocks some things in him and rejuvenates him as far as his confidence and what he thinks he can accomplish in the NBA. Even though the Knicks have been historically bad in terms of their inability as a large market and all the resources and advantages that you have as a larger market they have they've been historically bad in trying to get back to championship caliber basketball but every free agent is always going to go the Knicks correct it, it's always it's always they're always rumored to go to New it's York it's always the Knicks <laughs> but you mentioned the need for the Pacers to hit on these draft picks year over year a bigger market like New York can afford to do what they just did. Obi Toppin was the eighth pick in the 2020 NBA that's draft, yeah. and they shipped him off for a couple second rounders. Like that, that, that That's an abject failure as a front office to miss on a first-round pick at that stage in the draft. Like, and, and, and maybe the Pacers are able to get Obi Toppin back to the player that people thought he was going to be out of Dayton. I don't know, but that's the difference between the pieces that you're playing with in a market like Indiana and the pieces that you're playing with in New York where you can just confidently be like, hey, you were an eighth overall pick three years ago, but we got some second rounders for you. See you later. Have fun. Like, if that's what happens with Jairus Walker or Benedict Matherin, you can scrap where the plans of this thing are going. I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm just saying that's how quick it happens in this league is that you go from a bona fide top 10 pick to, yeah, we got some second rounders. We'll see you later. Sorry you didn't make it in New York. That's fair. <laughs> That's very fair. It's at, a life comes at you fast moment. Yeah, and, really I, and, and I mean, I, hindsight is 2020, but I'm looking at this draft class in 2020. Halliburton was after Obi Toppin. You know, uh, Tyrese Maxey was after him. Desmond Bain was after him. And again, 
these players are better right now, but you wonder how do these players develop if they go to the Knicks instead of Obi Toppin. So again, and I'm, I'm not, not saying 2020 draft. You just listed it, and I remember us yeah. looking back at it a week ago. I'm not saying it was a top shelf draft by any right. means, but the larger issue is you had the selection, and three years later, now you're moving on. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, especially for a top ten pick. Um, we'll see what comes of it because everyone is and this is how it goes in the offseason you're very high on every single move you make Mm -hmm. everyone has a great offseason everyone's excited for the direction they're going in but i like to see tangible results and we'll get our first taste of that at least a little bit with summer league saturday we got Wimby tonight i was hoping they had the patients on the schedule they don't have them (laughs) because i was like you didn't come to indiana no Wimby to indy all right jaris Lock them up. Lock them up, Jairus. Yeah, the option for you to sell on those is either like tonight or whenever <laughs> Wemby makes his first appearance in Indiana. All the t-shirts you had, you got to figure yeah, out Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I might those. have to show up with my bootleg t-shirts <laughs> when he comes to Indiana to make my most profit, you know, supply and demand, know a little bit about, you know, the yep. econ you know, class and things like that. So we'll try to see if it works. But jokes aside, I do want to see what these young Pacers look like in their first summer league contest tomorrow. And then not only for Jairus Walker – but, for example, Keegan Murray looked like Michael Jordan throughout his first few summer league games. If Benedict Mathern comes out looking like that, I don't want to see any more from him. Two games, you're done. <laughs> like, so I do want to see, sure. because to me, you start to see like, the separation from certain guys, and you realize, okay, he's really freaking good. And so I want that same sort of development for Benedict Mathern, as well as some, some run and some burn for the uh, younger guys who are rookies and getting acclimated to the NBA. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Throughout the day today, large plate of guests. Sam Quinn, Ian Bagley, John Glennon, Kevin Bowen going to join us throughout the afternoon. But we mentioned the Pacers have something to prove. Colts have a lot to prove in that same regard. We'll welcome Eddie Garrison behind the board over to the main stage. Take us through our next segment. We come back looking at who has the most to prove on this Colts roster when training camp arrives. That and more when we return on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Look, I understand that it is a traditional song to be played which has hit the road, Jack, for the podcast audience whenever we have a segment like this. But, man, it's good to hear some Ray Charles on a Friday. Gosh. I know it's, it's only that song that anybody knows for the most part uh, that's not, you know, me and my weird musical tendencies. But that's all right. Eddie Garrison is with us. Yes, sir. You won't be hitting the road just yet, but a uh, happy early vacation Thank you. to you. Thank you. That's how how is your... Protege in Nathaniel Finch doing to this point. What would you grade him, our producer today? Uh, well, we're one segment in, and he hasn't messed up yet, so we'll go with a solid B plus. A solid right. B plus. That's a, that's as strong a grade as I've heard Eddie give anybody. So Nathaniel, yeah, that's, that's pretty high for him. That. You know, yeah. you have those teachers like in high school who mm-hmm. just never give you an A. Eddie's that person. Mm-hmm. Well, we're grading on a curve, and the curve hasn't been established yet. So <laughs> we still have uh, seven segments to go. See, this is this is the teacher that I would just rip in the review after class. No, I would. <laughs> I, mean, on, I can't do worse than Eddie, right? I mean, it's uh, somebody said not me. There was a low bar that was that you were having to climb over. I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. Exactly. You were in the lab. Yes. Got a new segment for us to roll through. Yes. And it's 
specific with the Indianapolis Colts in the countdown to training camp right now? Yeah, so I came up with this, uh, I think, last night or maybe a couple nights ago. It's called Move It or Prove It. Uh, so it's kind what, of a sweating. play off of Move It or Lose It, but Prove It or Prove It or Move It. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you guys a couple names. Uh, for Colts players, and they either have to prove it that they're a part of the future for the Indianapolis Colts, or uh, they have they should be moved if they don't prove it after this season. So the first name I want to lobby out, you guys either disagree or agree. Um, there's a couple caveats with disagreeing. Jay Cook, I know you came up with one yesterday, and that's you could disagree simply because you think that player should already be gone. Um, so that could potentially be a name uh, that comes up later. But the first name I want to go to is a very hot name right now uh, on these airways, and Jonathan Taylor. Prove it or move it. Do you want to go first or you want me to? I'll let you go first. Okay, so it's it's not a prove it year for me for Jonathan Taylor. So I guess it would be move it then. But I'm not. But again, I, I need clarification on this. And I've already bought this segment to begin with. My move it is you're just agreeing or disagreeing. I, 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 I agreeing or disagreeing. You don't have to say okay. move it or prove it. All right, it. I I am disagreeing. This is a player that, with where he's at right now, at 24 years old, and a key part of what this franchise is going to be, at least in the initial years of Anthony Richardson, has to be retained. Now that answer could switch for me if the money's not right. But if it's a three-year deal. With retaining Jonathan Taylor's ability in the NFL as one of the best running backs, I, I have no need for him to have a prove-it year this year. I want a contract done before the season starts. I agree. I don't think that he has to prove anything because he is one of the best players in the NFL, the best yeah. player on the team. However, you're giving me that side, I know it's coming. The money has to make sense, and that's what makes it so unique. And this, you know, I get it. There's like, you know, we have to give like an opinion on this can't ride the fence but with him he's such a nuanced piece of this team where again there is a pathway to moving it if it doesn't line up monetarily how you want it to it wouldn't happen like this season or even next season but as we talked about eddie it's cold world out here yep. sometimes that franchise tag would need to be used and you know, again, it's guaranteed money, so you get guaranteed money for not not this season, but next season if you came to that. And I maybe would even franchise to tag you again if you're still pretty good. But after that, if you start to decline, you can always just move on. So, so hypothetically here, let's say he gets around 280 carries and averages 4.4 yards per carry, which would be down from the 2021 season. Where would you stand then if I told you those kind of numbers? So he's around what? 1200 yards maybe i think i would be okay with it depending on how it affects anthony richardson's development now if richardson is like better off because he's in the backfield and just the threat of him being there is a factor then yes but again monetarily now we're not uh, you uh, would think that the colts do not want to pay this guy let's say 15 16 million dollars a year for the next three years let's just say that and this season coming up, he's just not, you know, even close to being like a Pro Bowl or all yeah. pro all pro player. Now, again, I think that JT can bounce back physically, but I mean, running backs are kind of finicky. Like your window of being at your peak is pretty small, and usually it's earlier in your career. Mm-hmm. And so, man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Jimmy, got anything else? No, I mean, if those numbers were there, and that's. Assuming he's hitting that marker close to it over the course of a three or four year deal, that that wouldn't be enough to dissuade me from saying it's time to move on. That would still be near the top or among the players that he'd be paid near at that level in the in the NFL. So no, I'm 
stick with my answer. All right, let's move over to the defensive side. A name I think we haven't really talked about much um, in that secondary, uh, Julian Blackman. For everybody within this defense, fair or not, it is a prove-it year for me, especially when you look at in the secondary and how thin the cornerback room is going to be. I need to know that whoever is my last line of defense back there deep into the secondary is reliable. This is going to be, what, year three, I believe, for yeah, Julian Blackman? going into a contract year. And it's a con- going into a contract year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a prove-it year for a number of pieces on this defense. I don't want to steal your thunder with other names on the defensive side of the ball that you're going to throw at me. But, yeah, that's the trend that I'm going with. I need to see more across the board, even though we've talked about it in hindsight – the defense wasn't the major point of anger and frustration by Colts fans a year ago. I still need sustained success and consistency at a high enough level where. So I'm you're gonna, agreeing that it's a yeah. I'm going it. to agree it's a prove year. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. Not only because of that, but because of the injury history. Yeah. You know, I believe he had what was it? it might have been ACL or uh, the Achilles. I'm forgetting which one, but he had a major season, you know, ending type of injury was out last year with the ankle injury, missed some games, lost his starting spot actually to Rodney Thomas. And then it became Rodney Thomas and Rodney McLeod, who was now in with Cleveland. So I think that I agree with Jimmy on this, where it's sort of unfair, but he hasn't done enough to make you think for certain, this is my guy for the future. Yeah. And it could help. It could change. I mean, if you come out this season, he is going to a new position where he's going to be the strong safety instead of the free safety. He'll be more up in on the action, which he said he prefers. And so maybe he has a year where you're like, hmm, okay, we bring him back. But to me, it's not something where I would be appalled if he isn't brought back. Or even if he is brought back, it's something that really catches a headline, in my opinion. It's going to be contingent on his health, really, yeah. in my opinion. He's got to be healthy. If he's healthy, he's back. That's simple enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm sticking on the defensive side here. Jimmy, yesterday when you brought up the caveat that you could disagree simply because you think this a player particularly has should already been moved or gone, um, and I know you just said you would agree that every defensive player is in a prove-it year, what about Shaq Leonard? Does he fall in that disagreement because you think he should be gone, or an agreement that he's got to prove, A, that he can get back to that level he was playing at, and B, play up to that contract? The boat to move Shaq Leonard is gone right now. Like, move on for him as in put him in a trade package because the value is far too low to the type of player that I think we all know he can be. That said, and I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way, but it's also not his fault because it's July. And no, I'm not mad if I'm a Colts fan that he wasn't out there for OTAs and he's still recuperating and getting himself ready to go and be back to full strength because you don't want him to come back early. Otherwise, you have a situation, a nightmare scenario like you had last year. But yeah, it's very much a, I agree with you, it is a prove-it year for Shaq Leonard because as he is continuing to be the type of player prior to this injury where, okay, this is a piece that I want on my championship-level defense, that's something that's now reevaluated because of the injury history and his ability to get on the field. That changes on a dime if he's out there week one and beyond, but until that happens, yeah, it's a prove-it year. Yeah, it's a, it's a prove-it year. It has to be a prove-it year. And I say that because of the amount of money he's making. You know, he signed a five-year, $99 million extension. At the time, it was a, seemed like a great decision because he was arguably the most dominant force in the game when it came to turnovers and game-changing plays and being the maniac. And so he hasn't been that for 
the better part of a year now, and you just wonder, can he get back to that? I mean, every update since his second back surgery in January has been he's progressing. The last time we talked to Shaq was in April. He said, I believe it was, I'm paraphrasing, but it was along the lines of something like, I'm not really doing much running right now. Like He wasn't running. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a factor that obviously mm-hmm. needs to happen in football. So you wonder if he can get back to that level. And, again, because it's a shrewd business, Eddie, they're out is next season for the Colts. Yep. If he doesn't perform well this upcoming season, they could – cut him only eight million in dead cap eight million in dead cap and then you don't have to pay him the remaining three years roughly 50 million dollars left on his deal 13 14 and then 19 million in 2026 the 31 year old i mean and we're talking about an off-ball linebacker so it's 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 hard to say that out loud because i know for a fact Shaq wants to be out there he wants to be who he once was but we have to just see it mm-hmm. i mean talk right now doesn't really matter and for me it's not even it has to be week one even if he takes his time and he wants to be better and smarter this time around and he's like hey I'm not ready until week eight or whatever but if whenever he takes the field again and he looks like a dominant player again I think you're okay but if it gets to that point where like you're not playing you're not out there when you finally come back you're just not who you once were then I think you have to seriously consider moving on Plus, you guys have to factor in Zaire Franklin, a name that you guys didn't toss around, and being a perfect replacement mm-hmm. last year for Shaq. Granted, the uh, the turnovers weren't there for Zaire, but he was still making making a bigger impact, I think, um, in run defense than, than Shaq, and certainly in the passing game, too. Uh, I gave you guys a list of players, and I'm going off the list now. Um, Quentin Nelson, I want to throw a little bit of a wild card in here for you, both of you. He had a down year last year. You know, you're paying him $20 mil a year to be one of the best cards in the NFL. Uh, does he need to prove it that he's worth that $20 million? And if not, do you move it? The name that you had on there that did not get said in this segment, which goes along the whole not offensive yet, line feed. Oh, are you still going to continue down Maybe. the old line? We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, I won't, I won't shout out the name, but there was a name <laughs> that you were going to mention where I said, yes, because on this offensive line and how Tony Soprano Jr., even though the big money has been paid out and there's still talent on the offensive line, the theme is Tony Sprott is going to have to be a miracle worker to get this offensive line back where it was two seasons ago. For Quentin Nelson, yes, I need to see the value of him on this team. The out for him, though, isn't until 2025, and you look at guards around the league, that's not a palatable contract for a team to take on. So on the one hand, and this benefits Q, they're stuck with him to some extent. Like They're stuck with him for at least two more years unless they find a team that's willing to take him on and they want to move there. So no, you're, you're trapped with a hand behind your back in this, I need to see it from him. I do need him to prove it, but there's no real escape hatch with him anyway. I don't think it's a prove it year. I Finally, think, a disagreement. Let's go. Yeah, I, I think that people are kind of overblown. Like, he is really good. He had a down year and he was a pro bowler. He's been in the league, I believe, five seasons. He's been a five-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro. Everyone take a deep breath. And he matters. The contract might not be great when you look at other teams around the league, but let's not forget who he'll be protecting this year, and that's Anthony Richardson. And as long as he does that to a high level, the money will be worth it, in my opinion. So I don't think that they have to prove much of anything. He's a really good player. They had a down year. But even in his down year, he still was one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. 
Okay, so the other name on that list that was an offensive lineman I that Jimmy probably just hit on a little bit was Ryan Kelly, so we won't go there. How about Bernard Ryman? Uh, there's a lot of question marks surrounding about his future. Does he need to prove that he's worth the money as a left tackle going forward and that he is the left tackle? I don't even know if it's a money thing because he isn't getting paid that much right now, but it is definitely but a prove-it year. Soon, yeah. Yes, yes, because you're going to have to extend him at some point, but I think it's a prove-it year, and this is why I haven't been as high on – the Colts' draft hall because they didn't really address the offensive line that much. The only person they obviously drafted that will play, I think, this season is Blake Freeland. They drafted Jake Wood in the second, not, not second round, seventh round. He was playing like, he was not even playing sports two or three years ago. So he's like a a, a, a shot in the dark, super athletic guy. You a project, that, right? I, did, I was trying to avoid that word and you're just, <laughs> setting me up for failure. But well, you set yourself <laughs> up for that I one. I did, I did. But getting back to the point, I think that it would behoove, like that word, good word, not not, not project, behoove, the uh, team to at least bring in some competition because I don't think you should just hand him the left tackle job and say it's his. Uh, it's same thing with the right guard position when it comes to Will Fries. They need to bring in some guys, even if it's for just training camp, to prove it, to earn it. Because I thought last year they kind of prematurely gave these spots out and it backfired tremendously. And I'm not saying Bernard Ryman hasn't improved. They've been really high on him. But again, that all sounds great until we get to the season and you wonder, even with his improvement, can he be a starting caliber left tackle, one of the most important positions in all the sport? I don't know. Got to prove it. Blitzes can come from anywhere. Pressure can come from anywhere. But we've talked a lot about bad habits sure. forming and the importance of trust being established within the offensive line yeah. and with Anthony Richardson. Let's just say in this exercise, Anthony Richardson is a starter week one. We need a bigger scale than prove it or move it because it is a prove it to the umpteenth degree for Bernard Ryman <laughs> as the left tackle and oh, the alleged man. face of this offensive line in terms of where you need your biggest strength to be, and that is at left tackle with your most prized possession being defended by Bernard Ryman. Eddie made this point at the end of last season, and he hit it right on the head. He had strides last year. There was improvement. Perhaps we were a little bit too hard on him going into the 2022 campaign, but that is a heavy crown to wear. I need to see it again, and I need to see it at a higher, more consistent level if he is going to be somebody that is a paid piece of this offensive line plus i think the fact that he added what was it 15 pounds yeah yep. he did he did he got bigger we'll help him, yeah you yeah. know you can try to get in trenches with me now <laughs> <laughs> all right last one have a little fun with this one it's not a player uh it's a coach oh this man trying to get me fired on my day off gus bradley no, it's not a prove-it year for me. I said it's the entire defense, but it's not a prove-it year from Gus because... How does that... How, how it, it, from the personnel standpoint, it is. From the personnel, I need individual players. You can you can fix a system with more talent, but with what Gus Bradley's been able to establish, and this is the point that I hammered home, which is why they retained him, I need that consistency within this group. I don't want to have to have a restart on one side of the ball when I'm trying to establish the offensive side of the ball right now. I don't need two reclamation projects back-to-back. <laughs> Gus Bradley has proven himself as a high-level coordinator here in the NFL. And again, why are we scratching our head most of last year? Had nothing to do with Gus Bradley and his system. It had to do with well, we had a quarterback from the Stone Age outside of the Minnesota Vikings game. It had to do with a quarterback from the Stone Age trying to thrive in a high-powered NFL offense. So no, it's not a proven year for me for Gus Bradley. Might be for Shane Steichen because... This wasn't a hand-picked guy from him. It was a pre-existing 
coach, yep. but for me, it's not a prove a year. I don't think it's a prove a year, mainly because he has the greatest built-in excuse with the Isaiah Rogers situation that went down. <laughs> sure. Because, I mean, not saying that he was going to be some lockdown corner. However, I do think that even with the young guys and how promising they may look, there's going to be some growing pains, and I could see the Colts giving up a lot through the air just given how young they are, how inexperienced they are. And again, like Jimmy said, you don't want to see too much change after finally feeling like you stabilized the team. And to his credit, they actually had a pretty good defense, I believe like halfway through the season last mm-hmm. year, until I think you just wait on everyone where you to the point where you can't score. At some point, you're going to crack. And then it felt like the levy broke, especially in Minnesota, obviously, where it just, it just never really was the same. So I don't think it's a prove it year, but I want to ask you two, put Eddie on the spot, talking about prove it. Oh. Can Jim Ursay prove Uh-oh. that he can be patient? Because every year he brings up Lombardis, he brings up playoffs, he brings up history, glory. Can he prove to be patient? Especially after last season where obviously we saw what impatience brought the are team. We, are we talking franchise. about throughout the entire season to start the season? Or, or it's a multi-year here? thing? Yeah. What are we doing? I'm saying throughout this season. Now, I don't know about next season. <laughs> this season, Anthony Rich, new quarterback, new coach, new vibes. I mean, he needs to prove it for me. <laughs> he, he needs to prove it for me that patience can exist, and that that includes one toe out of line. Um, this, this is a playoff team. Like, I, I need I need legitimate steps of patience shown by Jim Irsay, and he's already failed that test before the season started because of uh, Superman. You're going Superman's on his TikTok here. right now, I'm, by the I'm, way. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of the James Boyd TikTok. Romeoville kid. At Romeoville kid. There we go. There we go. But you got to answer this, Eddie. I'm going to say no. Oh, I think he can. I think he can, and he will be patient because he's been through it before. Like you look with Peyton, like that was a while ago, but he was patient through Peyton. He didn't really have to be patient through Luck because, well, Andrew Luck came in and was successful from the time he stepped foot on a football yeah, field. Yeah. And there's already been like the hesitancy from the team and the organization, to, as you've experienced. Of them rolling uh, Anthony Richardson out there in interviews and everything of that yeah, nature, and yeah. they've been balancing Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson in practice so far. So I think he's going to be patient with it, and I and ultimately he's already said it's going to be up to Shane Steichen. And if he has that much trust in Shane Steichen, then he'll be patient. You know, Eddie might be onto something here. You know why, James? Why is this? Because patience might just equal it's Marvin a Harrison Jr. <laughs> Eddie, it's good stuff. Perhaps we'll bring back. I should have I should, I should have said Matt Gay to lead it off, but it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I spared both of you. There's still plenty of uh, off season to get to. He's got to prove he game. earned that money. Yeah, well, it's a conversation that we don't have time for up against <laughs> it right now. Sam Quinn going to join us top of the hour. Back with a quick one after this. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Back in the drivehuber.com studios, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd. Eddie Garrison joined us last segment. Perhaps we'll get more from him and Nathaniel Finch a little bit later throughout the show. Quick segment here, James. This is going to be a part of our larger conversation, and I did not look this up prior to the show because I was burnt by it last year. I didn't want to 
have heartbreak right away. <laughs> that is, of course, the NBA Summer League, and regrettably, you cannot. Okay, so we can't bet on NBA Summer League, unfortunately. At least there's no lines out right now. But you don't participate in that kind of thing anyway. Tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, Brandon Miller, Victor Wembanyama, going up against one another. Will you be a part of that action? I'll be tuned in. I actually called my dad this morning to let him know. I was like, hey, Wemby's making his debut in Summer League. Got to lock in. Got to lock in, Dad. So I'll probably call him throughout the game to get uh, you know in-game analysis from Pops. But I'll be locked into it just because, I, I mean, he's been hyped so much. I want to see him play. And with Wemby Yamba, he literally might play this one game, maybe another, and be done. So got to get in where you fit in. They say the tickets prices have been crazy. I think it's sold out. Always it's sells a, out, but you could guarantee it here because it's general admission. Usually it's $25 face value yeah, to get tickets into the arena. Yeah, and so they, but usually at the Summer League game, at least when I was there last summer, there aren't at full capacity. Yeah. for And even with the number one picks in years past, they haven't been at full capacity. Craziest I had was Zion Williamson. That okay. debut, because yeah. again, people forget about, it wasn't this level, but people forget about the hype that was there for Zion oh, out yeah. of college yeah yeah he was it wasn't lebron it wasn't wemby but it was still this kid's a freak and is going to be a dominant force yeah we know how it's gone to this point i just hope that you know none of these players end up with like eight fouls or something where i have to look at the ugly box score and people tell me oh he played great and i'm like well he wouldn't have been playing so let's see how he does you know as far as real basketball without hopefully being in quote-unquote foul trouble in summer league I 10 do, fouls i do have good news for you we still can't bet on the summer league but this is how big the Wemby hype is. DraftKings has an entire section of NBA. It goes futures, offseason, awards, Wemby. It's own tab. It's own tab in the betting markets. It's variation of Wemby bets. I don't know how I feel about that. I've this conversation <laughs> for another day, but that definitely speaks to the hype that he has because I can't imagine him going anywhere probably for the rest of his life without security, so... Well, have fun with that. Yeah, he's, he's already had one incident with uh, his security detail. Again, do not have time allegedly. to... We, allegedly. Sorry, sorry. We don't have time to get into that either because we have Sam Quinn with the NBA covering it for CBS Sports. We'll get his thoughts on all things NBA Summer League, all things NBA Free Agency, and where the Pacers are after that nice extension for Tyrese Halliburton. Fan Midday Show on the DriveHuber.com studios. Happy Friday to you. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd. NBA Summer League begins this evening. Joining us now, NBA reporter for CBS Sports, Sam Quinn. Nice enough to take some time with us. Sam, is Vegas calling your name at all throughout these 10 days, or are you still in the Big Apple? I am still in New York. Uh, I feel bad. My parents actually live in Vegas, so normally I love the opportunity to get out there, but this year I'm staying home, and it seems like with Victor Wembanyama debuting this week, you know, it'll be pretty crowded. I might have avoided a nice crowd. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime you're going to have that many people to see what is, as we've joked about, an, an exhibition at, at its largest point, even though people will overreact or underreact based on those performances, <laughs> I don't blame you, Sam. Yeah, I, I'll put it this way. I can see these guys in three months in games that count. <laughs> I don't feel any great need to rush. It's nice to see people, you know, the entire basketball world is down there, yep. but it's 110 degrees in Vegas right now. I'm good. I, I can take the year off. Yeah, the only solace that I took in it was just watching as much basketball as possible and avoiding the 
outside world until nighttime. But even then, still very, very hot. <laughs> oh, at night. Well, the thing is, with it being the desert climate, you know, Vegas has got 110 degrees during the day. Right. Then it drops 60 degrees at night. <laughs> well, since you're not out there in Las Vegas, and we will circle back around there, even though I'm sure you'll be watching it all from afar, I want to stay local for just a second. Tyrese Halliburton gets that rookie-designated extension and is now locked in for the next six seasons as a part of this Pacers core. As you look at where they want to be next year, where they want to be over the life of this contract, what does this deal mean both long-term for the franchise as well as for Tyrese Halliburton himself? You know, I don't think there was ever any doubt about this contract, obviously. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, even going back to when he was in Sacramento, had made it clear he was comfortable being in a small market. That was never something that was going to bother him. But that said, getting somebody to sign a deal like this, knowing that you're going to have your franchise superstar for the next six years, is a pretty big deal, especially in a market like Indiana where Paul George didn't stick around. And, you know, it's, it's in certain cities it's easier to keep players than it is in others. Halliburton is the sort of player that one day – you could build a championship team around. I think they have a little bit of a ways to go, but they're headed in the right direction. And while this step might have been, you know, obvious, we might have known it was coming, it's still pretty important and symbolic to say, hey, we have a guy who we can build a championship around who's committed to our team, who wants to be here and understands, like, you know, this might not happen right away, but we're moving in the right direction. Sam, I saw the interview yesterday and Tyrese Halliburton Shouted out his mom, very humble. And I just want to say, Lord knows he could not put that kind of talent in me because the money would change me. The money would change <laughs> me so much. <laughs> I would be like, yes, yes, I'm worth every penny. I'm never going to be the same, all you peasants out there. But no, <laughs> jokes aside, another guy got a pretty big payday, got announced yesterday, was Bruce Brown here in Indianapolis. What do you think he can bring to this team given the championship DNA that everyone talks about and obviously still being 26 years old? Yeah, I, I found it a little interesting. They announced him as a forward instead of a guard. Now, if yeah. you look at the minute-by-minute minute breakdown, I think he it, it has been close to a 50% or fifty split where he spent some, some time at forward, some time at guard. He was like 6'2 or 6'3". He's a smaller guy, and the Pacers do have a lot of guards. You know, they trade Chris Duarte mainly to get out of that logjam in the backcourt, but you know, they still have Buddy Heald, still have Halliburton, still have Andrew Nembhard, still have T.J. McConnell. Like, there, there are a lot of guys, and Benedict Matherin, too, who, frankly, is probably going to start this year and had a fantastic rookie year. They do have a lot of smaller guys in that backcourt, but Bruce Brown does things that the rest of them really don't. He can defend way bigger than the size, you know, low center of gravity, very strong, long arm. I don't know how I feel about how small they are, but if you just look at the raw skill set that Bruce Brown brings, the defense, the supplementary ball handling, the connective passing, those are things that championship teams really need. The Nuggets clearly valued. And I'd also say they structured the contract really, really well. They do this two-year, $45 million deal. The second year is a team option, or it's not guaranteed. I can't remember exactly what they decided on. But the point is the Pacers can get out of this in a year. I don't think that they only plan to keep Brown for a year. But if you look at the way his free agency derby was shaping up, Basically, every contender was looking at him thinking, man, we'd really love to add Bruce Brown. We only have the mid-level exception, so we don't know if they'll take that. The Pacers beat all of those offers with the big one-year balloon payment. But next offseason, they can renegotiate a longer-term deal with him with the championship chain kind of off 
and maybe not as many contenders trying to steal him away, you can renegotiate for a longer deal at a slightly more palatable year-by-year number. So if you told me in a year he re-signed at something like three years, $45 million, I would say that sounds about right, but you got him in the door, and that's what counts. Mm-hmm. I would have liked somebody a little bit bigger in that slot, but ultimately this is somebody who is one of the best players on a championship team. It's hard to complain about that, right? Like any team would have loved to have him, and Indiana's the one that got him. How does a player like Tyrese Halliburton of his caliber, Sam Quinn, CBS Sports, covers the NBA with us here on the Fan Midday Show. How does a player of Tyrese's caliber, when you look at the way contracts are structured, incentivized with all NBA, how does a player of his caliber and his position group get impacted by all NBA going positionless next season? You know, it's a good question. I think this year what we saw was that there were some positions were obviously more stacked at All-NBA than others, right? Like, it was, frankly, a little bit hard to get to six All-NBA forwards this year, where I think I had Laurie Markin and Julius Randle as the 13 forwards on my ballot, whereas the guards, there were like 11 or 12 guys that had real cases, and you were arguing like, oh, can I put Damian Lillard on here despite being on a team that, frankly, tanked down the stretch? Can I put Stephen Curry on here despite the missed games? Whereas, you know, you come, you get five or six forwards, it's hard to get there. So from that perspective, going positionless probably makes it a little bit easier for Tyrese Halliburton to make it. That said, the big thing is going to be staying healthy because we have the 65-game minimum. Last year, I can't remember exactly how many games Halliburton played. I think he was right on that bubble. He misses, you know, several weeks in the middle of the year. If he's healthy, I would think he has a reasonable shot at it, but... You know, with all NBA, you never want to be too certain. There's so many variables that can go into it. So I think give, you know, it was smart of the Pacers to give him the incentives. I, I would have done it. I think with a player like that who's that good and that young, you want to keep him happy. You don't want to haggle over every last detail. But he's got a shot. I wouldn't say that he's likely or unlikely. I would say he comes into the season with a decent shot to make an all NBA team. Yeah, Sam, to your point, Tyrese Halliburton played 56 games last season for Indiana. So obviously that would not clear the 65-game limit or at least the threshold this year. So, And also I want them to be positionless because Nikola Jokic being second-team All-NBA last season looks horrible in hindsight. And this is why I'm glad I was there because years down the line we have these debates on who's the best big. If someone's going to say, oh, he was the only second-team there, and I'm like, you get out of here. You're banned. <laughs> um, and so well, It's a little funny because we had those years in like the mid-2010s where it's like, is our first team all NBA center DeAndre Jordan? Like you know, having that center spot has kind of been a blessing and a curse where there was this period where we just didn't have anybody to fill the slot. Whereas now it's like, oh, the two best players in the NBA play the position where we only have one slot. What are we going to do? It makes no sense. Sam, I used to cover high school sports and do high school basketball and I had my all area teams positionless. So if I can do that three or four years ago in Northwest Indiana, I'm sure the NBA finally, thankfully, has figured it out that you don't need positions in a positionless sport. Um, and speaking of sort of being positionless, Obi Toppin is a guy who can, who can kind of mesh into different um, positions on the court. How do you see him fitting in with the Pacers and potentially what can be unlocked playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton? You know, purely aesthetically, as somebody who enjoys watching a certain brand of basketball, that might have been my favorite addition any team made all <laughs> offseason. I mean, Obi Toppin, the, the, the problem with him in New York was they drafted him to replace Julius Randle, and then Julius Randle becomes an all-star as soon as Obi arrives. 
So he plays 15 minutes a game for three years. We frankly don't really have a good idea of what kind of NBA player he'll be with real minutes because he's never really gotten real minutes. That said, in 15 career starts, he's averaged over 20 points a game. Like, clearly there is something more to his game that can be unlocked with more playing time that he just was never going to get in New York. That said, if you were going to build a big man in a lab to play with Tyrese Halliburton, it would be Obi Toppin. He is, maybe aside from Giannis, better at running the floor than any big man in the NBA. He's a high-flying dunker. He's going to catch so many lobs from Halliburton. You know, he's developed a bit as a three-point shooter. He's, he's not great yet. But if you put him with Miles Turner, where they both got three-point strokes, you can really get creative with how you run pick and roll. You can do a lot of the double-drag stuff that Atlanta runs with Trey Young, where you have big men that can both get to the rim and stay behind the arc, really confuse defenses. I think he's going to be a great fit there. If, in fact, if you're looking for a most improved player bet to make, I haven't seen his odds yet. I would very much be looking at him as kind of a flyer. You know, the only question there is, you know, he obviously plays the same position as Jarrett Walker, who they just drafted number eight in the, in the lottery. So, you know, it'll, it'll depend on how many minutes he gets. But Rick Carlisle does not like playing rookies. You know, last year was an exception given the, the roster that they have. But I would imagine Rick Carlisle is going to favor Obi Toppin in that rotation. And he's going to get a lot of minutes and a lot of chances to score. So I am very excited about that addition. A man after my own heart. We didn't even ask for a prop bet, and he throws one in there for us. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Sam Quinn with us of CBS Sports. Do not, please, Sam, do not you know, feed this man. Oh, any, man. any more prop bets, we, please. We, we could go down a dangerous rabbit hole the further <laughs> that we, we take that walk. Sam, locally, the biggest mark on the Pacers that we would like to see improved from a season ago is on the defensive end. They've shown they have the ability to put up high-volume points. The problem is they're also giving them up to the other team. From a national perspective, is that the main area you want to see a leap forward from the Pacers? And if not, from your perspective, where do you need to see growth and a step forward from this team? Yeah, you know, last year the big problem was they had all of these guards, most of whom were very good on offense, maybe not so good on defense. And then they had Miles Turner at center, but absolutely nothing in the forward slots. Now, I do think if you purely look at it from a depth chart perspective, Bruce Brown at small forward and Obi Toppin at power forward are significant upgrades in those forward slots, but they're not, you know, the traditional great defenders, right? Bruce Brown is a very good defender, but he's better on guards than he is on forwards just because he's smaller. So I do agree that getting better on defense is the priority. They looked into into OG and Anobi really hard both the trade deadline leading up to the draft. There was a lot of talk that they wanted to use their pick to trade for a veteran forward. I don't think that chatter is going to die down. I don't know what the Raptors are doing, frankly. I mean, losing Kyle Lowry for almost nothing a few years ago and then going through the exact same process with Fred Van Vliet this year where they turn down offers at the deadline and then lose him for nothing. The Raptors have to commit to a direction at some point. I don't know when it's going to be. And OG Ananobi is a free agent next offseason. I would imagine the Pacers revisit those talks the moment Toronto says, okay, we'll consider it. If it's not Ananobi, I do think they are going to be looking for somebody who fits more of that traditional 6'7", 6'8", perimeter defender mold. I think Jairus Walker is more of a big defender than a wing defender. So I think that's something they're really going to look for because in a perfect world, Bruce Brown is defending guards, and Obi Toppin is not a great defender. So I do think they're one wing away on defense. That said, Miles Turner is one of the best defensive big men in the NBA, 
And while Tyrese Halliburton hasn't been great on defense so far in his career, he has the tools, he has the size. I would expect him to improve pretty significantly between now and, you know, whenever the Pacers hit their final form as a contender. So, yeah, defense is a problem. It's not something I'm especially worried about them actually solving in the near future. I think they'll get there. To that point, I know we've talked a lot about the additions they've made, the extension, obviously, with Tyrese Halliburton. But how does Miles Turner fit into all of this, and how important is he in today's NBA? Because I do feel like he is one of the more underrated players in the league, and maybe that's because I can always have constant Lakers fans telling me he's worth like a bag of chips and he should just get him over there to L.A. But, you know, how does he make this all work on the back end? Yeah, as somebody who writes a lot about the Lakers, I can tell you they would have loved to have had Miles Turner last year. I think he would have made quite a difference. You know, there are so few big men in all of basketball who can bring elite shot blocking and, you know, not elite three-point shooting, but very good three-point shooting. Having somebody with those two particular skills is so rare and so valuable that the Pacers getting him on the contract that they did last season where they front-loaded the deal with that renegotiate and extend mechanic where they used their cap space during the season to bump up his number. And then now the next two years, he's at a, you know, frankly deflated number relative to what he actually is worth. Mm-hmm. That's a goldmine for the Pacers. I mean, that's somebody that, I God, he'd be an upgrade over 20 starting centers around the league, something like that. It's funny, they, they go after DeAndre Ayton last summer, and now I think if Phoenix called and said, hey, we know you loved DeAndre last year, would you trade him for Miles Turner? I think the Pacers would probably hang up the phone, right? I mean, yes. he was so good last year, and he clearly, this, this is not a slight against Samana Sabonis, who obviously had a fantastic season in Sacramento. Those two both clearly needed to separate because their timeshare at center didn't make sense for either of them. Both of them had wonderful seasons away from each other last year as full-time centers. And I think now what we've seen with Turner over the last year is we knew he could shoot. We knew he could block shots. Now we're starting to see the rest of his game fill in because he doesn't have to worry as much about Sabonis being there. You know, he's had more of a floor game last year. He was better near the rim. I personally, I mean, there are very few centers I'd rather have than Miles Turner. I think the extension they got him on was a steal. Sam, as you look at all the changes that have happened this offseason around the Eastern Conference and you look at where the Pacers hope to position themselves, is being a playoff, a, a one to six, obviously one's probably too high, but a one to six playoff team, not a play in team, a playoff team next year, too high a bar for this club where they're at right now? I wouldn't be thinking playoffs are bust, but I don't think it's real. I don't think it's unrealistic either. Remember, before Halliburton got hurt, they were right in that mix last year, right? And this year's roster is certainly better than last year's. Even before you factor in what we would assume is going to be meaningful growth from the young players. So Miami, if we assume they get Damian Lillard, is going to be very, very good. The Bucks are going to be very, very good. Cleveland, you would assume Philly, wherever the dust settles, is going to be very good. After that, you know, the middle of the Eastern Conference, I don't look at the Knicks as like a guaranteed top six team. I think they'll be right in the mix, but I don't think they reached the stage last year where like, oh, I definitely have to list the Knicks above the Pacers. I kind of feel the same way about the Nets. I I certainly feel like the Pacers have evolved beyond that Bulls, Hawks, Raptors group. I would say it's likelier that they land in the play-in. That said, if you told me they were the number five or number six seed in March, 
I wouldn't be totally surprised, right? I mean, that's where they were before Halliburton got hurt. So, Sam, let's take a broader picture of the league. How do you see the Damian Lillard situation playing out? Do you think he ultimately ends up in Miami? Yeah, I suspect the way these things tend to go, more often than not, is the team that has the superstar will, you know, they'll kick and they'll scream and they'll fight it and they'll do whatever they can to generate a little bit of leverage. But usually in these situations, the star ends up where the star wants to go. That said, I mean, as an outside observer, it's not great for the league when a player who signed an extension last season, really a year ago, now says, I, not only do I want to get traded, and look, I think the trade demand in itself made sense. Clearly, Dame and the Blazers want to go in different directions. But to say, I only want to go to the one team, you know, having his agent basically warn teams not to trade for him. There was something that came out today that was like maybe he wouldn't report. I don't know if I believe that. But to really send out this message, I'll only go to one team, not only that, it totally depresses the trade offer that Miami will ultimately make because they don't feel like they have competition. That's bad for the league, right? And my, my thought process here is if Damian Lillard had wanted to pick his next team, he had a chance to do that. He could have become a free agent. He didn't do that. He chose to sign extensions. And ultimately, I'd rather live in an NBA world where players, like, look, if, if you're going to demand a trade, some, I get it. Sometimes the situations don't make sense for both parties. But at least work mutually together to find a situation that makes sense for all parties involved. I am not crazy about guys basically saying, I'm only going to go to this one team. And that said, like Miami, if they get Damian Lillard, they're going to be really good. I might pick them to win the East. I would say if they're not the favorites, they're certainly up there. So ultimately I expect it to get done just because that's what history says will get done. Now that I look back on the CBA negotiation that took place over the last, you know, the deal was agreed to in March or April. I'm a little surprised that they didn't take more steps to find ways to say, hey, if you're going to sign these long-term extensions, you can't just ask out in a year. That's not good for the sport. They didn't, and here we are. Yeah, Sam, I agree with everything you said, but I still might be leaning towards Damian Lillard because personally, I like Miami. Miami's nice. Tax-free down there in Florida. You don't have to convince me. So, so, So I get everything he's saying, but no, on a serious note, you make a very good point about that, and I am curious to see how that changes because because me and Jimmy talked about it. Tyrese Halliburton, not saying he would do this, but he's locked in for six years, going to be here for six years, and it's like, eh, in the NBA, you just sign, and then you can just, if you're good enough, just force your way out. And the only person who really had the leverage to do it the proper way was Bradley, Bradley Beal because of the no-trade clause. But other than that, it's like, I mean, we've seen it with Harden, we've seen it with KD, and we might see it again down the line. But it is very interesting to see how that plays out because I do think if he ends up in Miami, they have a chance to do something special and contend in the East with the Bucks in Boston. And uh, real quick, with Boston, did they get better? Like, do you think that they're a team that is able to get back to the finals given the changes they had? And also... Will they ever play smart basketball in Boston? Because last year hurt me so bad from a purist standpoint because they played so dumb, which is why they didn't go to the finals again, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they're probably a guard away. I I completely understood the decision to move away from Marcus Smart and Grant Williams to a lesser extent. I think when you've lost that many years in a row in such painful ways, even I'm not going to sit here and, you know, disparage Marcus Smart. I think, Marcus Smart is going to have a wonderful influence on Memphis. 
But I think there's something to the idea that voices get stale over time, and that's part of why Brad Stevens resigned as the coach and became the GM. He felt like the team needed to hear a different voice. I think there's some truth to that in locker rooms as well, where the Celtics were kind of the rare contender where the best players on the team were not the loudest, right? The guys who, you know, the, the heart and soul of the team was Marcus Smart, and the guy who, you know, was constantly talking trash and making noise was Grant Williams, and clearly that wasn't working out. So now it's the onus really falls on Tatum and Brown to step up into, I don't want to say step up into leadership roles, because obviously they were leaders before, but now the safety blanket's gone with Marcus Smart, and it's really going to be on them. I do think Chris Epps, Porzingis, if he can stay healthy, you know, that's one of the ultimate ifs in the NBA, is a great addition purely because so many of their issues on offense last year, and really dating back to this entire era, has been their offense is great when the three-point shot is falling. When it isn't, they don't really have many fallbacks. Well, a seven-foot-three guy that can score two feet from the rim or 25 feet from the rim is a pretty good fallback to have. You know, when all things are failing, a Chris Stapps Porzingis mid-range jumper is usually going to be a pretty clean look because nobody can block it, right? He's seven foot three. Chris Stapps, he had a very good post-up season last year. I don't know if I quite buy it, but he's going to get the best looks of his career playing with Tatum and Brown. I get the logic behind making the move. I do think they're going to need to find another guard at some point. Derek White had an awesome year last year. Malcolm Brogdon's injuries are concerning. The Clippers could have traded for him and didn't because there was something in that medical file that scared them off. Are you going to trust him going into next season? Are you going to feel comfortable with Peyton Pritchard playing a real role? I don't know that I would because whenever the Heat saw him over the last few years, they just torched him on defense every single possession he was on the floor. At some point, I'd like to see them maybe turn that Brogdon contract and a couple of picks into another guard. But otherwise, they're going to be right in the mix, right? They have two of the best, I don't know, 15, 20 players in the NBA. Porzingis makes sense for their flaws. That said, they don't really have a traditional point guard right now, and that's been a major problem for them for the last however many playoffs, right? Until they get somebody that I trust to fully design and run, or not design, but to really run an offense down the stretch of playoff games, I'm going to be a little bit wary. Sam, last thing from me, going back to Damian Lillard for just a second. As you look around the league at potential destinations for him and the packages that can be offered, does Miami have the best package, the the only package at this point? (laughs) And regardless if they do or not, if he does end up Miami, is this a multi-team trade, the only way this thing gets worked out? Yeah, Tyler Hero would presumably go somewhere else. The Blazers have Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson, and Anthony Simons. They don't need a fourth big minutes, big shots guard. They would send Tyler Hero somewhere else for some assets. And the Heat, if you really went all the way, like all the way you could, it would be three first-round picks, three swaps. Jaime Jaquez, the kid they just drafted. Nikola Jovic, who they drafted last year. You know, maybe you throw in the expiring contract of Kyle Lowry. Maybe you take back Yusuf Nurkic. That's not, that's not a good offer, to be clear, relative to what I think the rest of the league would give up. It's not a terrible offer. It's something that might be close enough to get this done. If you're asking me what I think the best offer would be, the trade that I think the most makes the most sense, and buckle up because this is going to be a bit of a long one, it's a four-team trade where the Clippers get James Harden, the Jazz get Tyrese Maxey, the Blazers 
get picks from Utah, the Clippers, and the Sixers, and the Sixers get Damian Lillard. So essentially what we're looking at here is the Clippers get James Harden, who they've been looking for, and they give stuff out to get him. The Jazz get Tyrese Maxey. They don't have a long-term point guard. Maxey is far more valuable around the league, I think, than Tyler Hero is. I imagine Utah would give up quite a bit out of their stash of picks to get him. Philly has one first-round pick to deal. Other than that, they're basically tapped out. They traded everything for Harden and a year, going back a little bit further to get Danny Green to get out of the Al Horford contract. But that is the package, I think, that can get the Blazers the most picks, where Philly alone probably doesn't have the assets to get Damian Lillard. But Philly plus the Clippers plus the Jazz, you combine all of that, and I think they can make an offer that is far more interesting than what Miami can do. So I think if you're purely looking for the trade that makes the most sense for all parties involved, except for Damian Lillard, who's committed to Miami, I guess, that's the deal that I would be looking at. See, this is why I follow Sam on Twitter, because I get this every day and it blows my mind. So we'll let you go. But thanks so much for coming on, Sam, and keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Sam Quinn. Again, he covers NBA at large for CBS Sports. Awesome follow on Twitter. Make sure you go check him out and his work. But he just blew my mind, Jimmy. If that happens, by God, would this be um, quite the offseason for Damian Lillard and the NBA? The reason that won't happen... It won't, but I want it to. And I don't even mean that the teams wouldn't do that. It's because this has turned into a war of words, a PR battle left and right. Yeah. And if I'm a team that is not the Miami Heat and I want Damian Lillard, I'm telling Portland flat out, you have no leverage here. Your player wants out... He wants to go to one team. I'm not giving you an offer that matches what Miami's giving yeah. you. I'll give you something comparable yeah. or maybe a little worse. But And what hurts Portland is if you don't appease Lillard to some degree, does that ruin your future reputation with other players? They're gonna, they might look at this situation and be like, ah, well, Eddie Lillard like that, so I don't want to go there at all. So they're up against it. But, I mean, it's, it's really tough because he did sign a contract to play there and you would think in a vacuum they should be able to get the max value for him, but it doesn't work like that. It's a player's league. We know that time and time again, and it's likely to end up that way once this is all said and done. Whenever it is, that all gets said and done. We'll keep our NBA coverage moving forward when we return. Ian Begley covers the Knicks for SNY.TV. We'll get his thoughts on what New York has done to this point and their summer league aspects, but more importantly... The reason things didn't work for Obi Toppin out there with the Knicks and why perhaps the Pacers might be able to find some resurgence in the 2020 draft selection. Ian Begley of SNY joins us. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So we return. What fantastic music that is. <laughs> I'm here, still here rocking out, vibing out in the DriveHewler.com studio alongside the team, the squad, 
namely Jimmy Cook, who's the other James in the room. I never got called Jimmy in my life. I feel left out. So fun fact for those listeners out there, Jimmy Butler is actually just Jimmy, not even James Butler, it's just Jimmy. But anyways. Learn something new every day. <laughs> there you go. We he's have, not a part of this collective. No, he's not. No. He's not. He's not as cool as us. But one guy who is cool, who's been covering the Knicks, the Nets, the NBA, dealing with all things, usually East Coast, Ian Begley from SNY. Ian, how you doing? Good, fellas. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, they have a new high flyer in town, Obi Toppin. So to start off, Ian, what was your reaction to the trade itself and potentially what opportunities Ian might have, I'm not, sorry, not you, I'm sorry, uh, Obi, Obadiah might have in a new scene here in Indianapolis. Well, first of all, I hope Rick Carlisle gets me on a, uh, a 10 day at some point. Um, I'll talk to him. With, with Obi, yeah, like I wasn't surprised that he was traded at this point in his career. I think what surprised me was the idea that, you know, he just never had a clear path to a role and to significant minutes with the Knicks. I think when you look at what happened there, like they drafted him eighth overall in 2020, and then they had Julius Randle in front of him. I think the plan at the time, loose plan, was probably to move Julius Randle at some point uh, during Obi's first season or after that season, but then Julius Randle goes on and puts up all-star numbers, all-NBA numbers, and that plan goes awry. And then Toppin was just kind of stuck behind Randle playing limited minutes, limited role uh, for the following two seasons. So it was clear that he and the Knicks, were not, it wasn't going to work out here in terms of finding him a big role. So they looked on the trade market and they found Indiana as a trading partner. But, uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised at the end there, just a little bit surprised at how it all unfolded over the last three years. In terms of the return value to second-round picks for him, did, did that surprise you at all, or just based on everything that's gone on with him and, and falling out of rotation availability with Tibbs and where he's at in his career with only one year left under team control and then restricted free agency, did the compensation surprise you at all? It didn't. It didn't. You know, For every aspect that you just mentioned, it did not. I think my sense would be that the Knicks – could have gotten more back for Obi Toppin had they traded him earlier than this point in his career. And so that's kind of where, where I am with the whole process. I, I didn't think it went well. But in terms of trading him when they did, you know, this was about primarily, I think, shedding Obi's salary and creating more financial flexibility for the group because then they went out and they signed Dante DiVincenzo with nearly the full mid-level exception, and they're still under that luxury tax number. Uh, so I think that was probably the primary motivation. You wanted to find, I think, a, a good place for Toppin to, to have a chance to get more minutes and to get more playing time, and also you wanted to trade him to a place that could absorb his salary into cap space so you could shed some salary I think that's what they wanted to do with that transaction. And when you look at Obi Toppin's play, obviously there's a lot of high-flying ability in there. I keep reminding Jimmy that he had a East Bay in-game, through the legs, dunk, and I'm like, <laughs> how do you have the guts to do this in a real game? But from a personality standpoint, maybe getting to know him off the floor a little bit, what is Obi like as a person? Great guy. Great guy. And, you know, it was – he started uh, in the COVID season, so it's not like we had a ton of access around him early on, but just getting to know him uh, a little bit 
over the years, over those next two years, just always a smile on his face, always upbeat, always kind of keeping things loose, um, easy to talk to, easy to joke around with. I think just a good personality to have in your locker room, whether things are going well or going poorly. So, yeah, from that perspective, certainly I think a good addition for the Pacers. And then, you know, on court, we'll see how it plays out. I think if he ends up connecting uh, with Mr. Halliburton on some pretty alley-oops over the course of the season, I think some Knicks fans are going to be hurt and upset when they see those highlights. No, the fans never have anything to say about anything. They have, they're always very measured, especially in New York. You know, you all have to deal with very mild-mannered fans. You clearly didn't watch Luis Severino last night, I can tell you that right I'm just now. thinking about when the, the kid was uh, crying when Kristaps Porzingis got, got picked yeah, that sure. one year. And now, honestly, jokes aside, Kristaps could be the reason Boston wins the championship yeah. next year. So, I mean, and it, it's always fun when you when you get New York involved. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> Ian, we've been talking a lot the last couple of weeks on how the Eastern Conference looks now compared to where it was at the end of last season and how much movement there are for teams that are either near where the Pacers were or in that middle of the pack area, four to five to six, like the Knicks were. As you look at the way the Knicks are structured right now, what what is most unique about this team? Obviously, Julius Randle is still a part of this mix. That he'll have him under team control uh, until the twenty five twenty six season when he has a player option. They acquired Jalen Brunson last year. You already mentioned Dante Divincenzo. When you look at this roster, where's the room for growth in New York compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference in this coming year? Yeah, it seems to me that they're betting on internal improvement from their young guys and and also Jalen Brunson, you know, Tom Thibodeau were as good as Jalen Brunson was last year. And he was excellent. He said, listen, I've known him for a long time and every year he seems to find a way to improve. So I think that's, that's certainly part of the thinking here with New York that Brunson is continuing to ascend. And then your young players, your Quentin Grimes's, your RJ Barrett's, your Emmanuel Quickly's, I think those guys are going to continue to take a step forward. I think there was steady progress from them uh, last season. And then so I think that combined with DiVincenzo here, who's going to just give you uh, more grit rebounding, a uh, good cutter on offense, solid defender, and a good shooter last year, kind of similar to what Josh Hart did in his stint with the Knicks in the regular season at least. Just more of that. That's something that I think Tom Thibodeau likes, that the Knicks like is having kind of their ethos here with these Villanova guys. So it's just internal improvement and DiVincenzo kind of adding to what they were already trying to establish and they're hoping that that ends up in in more wins in the regular season and maybe a deeper playoff run. What's their multi-year timeline? I mean, I know that Thibs is respected across the NBA, but as you look at highlighting the roster like you just did versus where they want to be in a hungry fan base and in a market like New York, well, what is their multi-year timeline? You know, it's interesting because we've been talking since Leon Rose took over about you know, chasing a star, acquiring a star. And, and Nick, uh, Governor Jim Dolan is on record as saying that that's why he, one of the reasons he brought Leon Rose and his group in here was because of their connections to top players in the league. So still like Jalen Brunson, I think, uh, depending on how you define it, I think he's one of the top point guards in the league. Is he a star? Is he didn't make the all-star game last year? Maybe he does this year. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that, idea is still out there. The Knicks kind of holding onto their chips in hopes of landing a star via trade. And so when you talk about a timeline, Jalen Brunson, 
He's on a team-friendly contract for another two years. Then he's got a team option, a season player option that following season. So I think you have to hit it in those two seasons where Brunson is on that team-friendly deal. I think that's your window to add that top player. And then you see where you are. You're shooting for the stars, and, and obviously things have to break right for you. But you're hoping to be a perennial contender at that point. But timeline, I would think it's within these next two seasons while you have Brunson under this team-friendly deal. And to pivot to the other team in the New York area, the Brooklyn Nets, that you also cover, what direction are they going in? We know they gave the extension to Cam Johnson, who I believe deserved it. You know that Mikael Bridges also signed an extension last year with Phoenix before he was traded. So they have those two guys locked up, but – what does the future look like in Brooklyn, obviously, now that they've sort of emerged from the Kyrie, James Harden, KD era that really wasn't ever what everyone envisioned it to be? Yeah, I think that you hear a little shell-shocked after that if you're the Nets. But now I think they've done a pretty good job pivoting in terms of what the return was. The Kyrie Irving trade, uh, getting a couple wings back and a a first-round pick back from Dallas in that deal. And then the Kevin Durant trade, getting a lot back from Phoenix. So I think they're pretty well positioned here, having Cam Johnson, having Mikael Bridges under contract for multiple years. I think it's almost kind of a similar – they're in a similar boat to the Knicks because – they're right there in terms of teams that can make strong offers for star players that are out there and maybe requesting a trade. I was, I'm was i a little bit surprised because I assumed that they would be aggressive with Damian Lillard, but everything that I'd heard as, as recently as uh, late last week was that they kind of felt that Lillard was not on their timeline, so they weren't going to be super aggressive. I think they could get involved as a third team where Tyler Hero gets rerouted to them. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. But in terms of being aggressive for Lillard, it hadn't been there as of late last week. That surprised me a little bit because I do think ultimately the owner, uh, Joe Sai, and the whole group, you know, they want to attract eyeballs. They want to uh, gain fan fan base locally, and you do that by winning first and foremost, but also attracting star talent. So I think when those next stars become disgruntled, and it always happens in the NBA – if they're on the younger side, I would assume the Nets uh, become interested and, and aggressive in their pursuit of those players. We've talked a lot today here on our show about Tyrese Halliburton taking that leap last year to being an all-star, one of the best players in the league. Could he make another leap next year to being an all-NBA player? When you're in Brooklyn looking at Mikael Bridges and what he was able to do, the jump that he was able to take, what do you think is next for him, just considering who he is as a person? Seems like a great guy, but also... I don't know if I saw this type of leap from him last year when he left Phoenix. I I was pretty – I want to say I wasn't completely shocked, but I was pleasantly surprised that he was able to be sort of a number one option on offense and not look like it was, you know, too crazy to think about. Yeah, no, he impressed, I think, a lot of people who watched the Nets last year after he came over. Credit the Nets for giving him those opportunities and credit to Bridges for taking advantage of them. I would assume, I don't know what Phoenix, how Phoenix felt about his ability to be a number one or number two option, but clearly he's got the ability to do so, to at least be a number two on a very good team. So I think, you know, I don't, it's, I wouldn't say like sky's the limit because I think the the ceiling on Bridges is, is probably below superstar level, and I don't say that with any disrespect. 
But I think that if if he can kind of reach his ceiling and become number two scorer and an incredible defender on a winning basketball team on a team that can compete, that's that's a very good player that the Brooklyn Nets got. Ian, last question on my end. Ian Begley joins us for SNYTV here on the Fan Midday Show. You mentioned the lack of aggression or motivation by the Nets to go get Damian Lillard, and it makes a lot of sense based on, as you highlighted, where he's at in his career and where that current state of the Nets is. But if they were to get involved in a three-team deal, and I know you mentioned Tyler Hero as a potential piece, but what would be the most to gain from the Nets in a three-team deal? Is it merely salary eating, or is there draft capital that could be valuable to them as they try to figure out what the next iteration of them is going to be? Yeah, my guess would be, because Miami wants to get this thing done, right? Yeah. So my guess would be they would be either gaining uh, some draft capital or they would be unloading maybe some future salary that they wanted to get off their books. I know Ben Simmons is a name that's been thrown out there a lot. I'm not sure that he has been you know, concretely involved in these talks in a significant way, but I think it's got to be something like that. I don't think it would just be Tyler Hero. I think it would be either some draft compensation or some shedding future salary, and the Nets aren't just going to facilitate the deal uh, just to help Miami out. They'll get Tyler Hero a very good player, but I think there's got to be a little bit more or for, for Brooklyn to go ahead and do it. Ian, are you out at Summer League or are you still hanging out in New York? I'm home, man. I'm home because Knicks did not have a, a high pick. Nets did not have a high pick. And I don't think any like big, big trade is imminent for either of these two teams. So I, I wanted to take advantage of time at home, spend time with the kids. And, and uh, my, my poor wife, who's put up with me for the last three weeks <laughs> with the draft and free and all that. So Sounds like true love to me, man. Sounds like true love. But uh, yeah, she puts up with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, just real quick, will you be tuning in to Women Yamba tonight, his debut in Summer League? Oh yeah, that's that's Kim TV. I mean, I was there in Vegas when Zion debuted against R.J. Barrett in the Knicks, and there was like an earthquake that stopped the game, and that was wild. Yep. This is going to be a great scene, a wild scene. I think everybody is looking forward to seeing what Wembenyama can do. Hopefully he's not hobbled by the Britney Spears incident, and he can go out there and, and give it a go tonight. But it's going to be fun to watch, certainly. Uh, Spurs, you know, future of the league, and, and let's see what he can do. Well, Ian, thanks for your time, man. I'll catch up with you soon and see you down the line. That all sounds good. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks, you too, Ian. All right, take care. Again, that's Ian Begley. Covers the Knicks, covers the Nets as well for SNY TV in New York. And I actually will probably see him because they have All-Star Weekend here Mm -hmm. in Indianapolis this year. And that will be right after the Super Bowl concludes. So NFL season will be over. And I will be begging the athletic to make me work the All-Star Weekend. I don't think it'll be uh, very much of a hard pitch. I'm like, hey, I live here. I would love to go cover all things NBA. You know, kind of revisit some old friends. But Yeah, just just put my boy in the JW, though, there, athletic. Okay, exactly. Take, take yeah, yeah, yeah. hook on. me up. I ain't on. trying to stay in my regular, you know, one-bedroom apartment. I want to live like, you know, everybody else. He's got to be a good host for the athletic it, for All-Star Weekend. Exactly. I mean, come on. Exactly. But, I mean, he made some very good points. I do think that with the direction that the Knicks are trying to go in, it made sense to move on from Obi Toppin. Similar to how the Pacers moved on from Chris Duarte, you just like yeah. where the men is going to come from. But I think, contrary to Chris Duarte, I think Obi has more of a chance to have an immediate impact here in Indianapolis. The only thing we didn't ask him about, which... It, it, oh, it, it, it would have been petty. 
Are oh, you no, go- no, you go first. That wasn't going oh, to Penny. No, I was going straight was up. What do you want to say, ask him? Uh, Wally Zerbiak. Oh, I, I, that popped into my head at I was one like, point oh, in time. I, I did think Come look at that. this, Wally. Even if it was simple, hey, how's Wally doing? As the I truly him, think that I, is I the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Looking back at that comment, and now Tyrese is like $200 million yeah. plus richer. Like It's iconic. Shout out to KD for that comment on Instagram. Come look at this, Wally. <laughs> Come look at this. But what I was going to say is, I know you'll be hyped about this, uh, former Hoosier Ray Thompson, a part of that Knicks Summer League roster. I'm just looking up and down at, at pieces that are there because he mentioned he's not out there and he's right. They didn't have a, a high pick this year. And you look at their their roster for for name recognition. And yeah, one of the first ones that pops on the page for me anyway, Indiana's Ray Thompson. So you're saying he should have pitched his team no, and no, no, like, no. hey, send me out there to get the Ray, the Ray Thompson. No, spend time, with, spend time with the family. That's I, I get that. It, you, you know how the grind is. That is true. No, the grind is that you crazy. haven't really had a breath until just a couple days no, ago. No, and so. I, I don't even have a family that I have to support <laughs> with kids and wives and things like that. But jokes aside, I do hope that it works out for Ray and he gets an opportunity to show what he can yep. do because as much as we kind of clown the summer league at certain points because it is sort of not the highest level of basketball you would want to see. It's still a dream to put on any type of gear for an NBA franchise. And so for him, I hope it works out. I hope he plays well and we'll see how it goes. I just, my only gripe is when they don't double team in Indiana and Illinois games. That's my only gripe. <laughs> love Indiana. Love IU. Got the greatest burger shirt on right now. Yep. Shout out to the Midi Queen. But no, that's my only gripe against IU is when they don't double team. The best player on the other team. Don't scar me like that again, Jimmy. Don't don't get me started here on this Friday. I had a good day so far. I like to make promises I can keep, but I can't. <laughs> I, I, can't I can't tell you that that's not going to happen uh, once again, once the basketball season rolls around. It's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. Still to come conversation with John Glennon, who covers the Titans at large down there in Tennessee. We'll get the perspective on where things are with the Titans in their own countdown to training camp. And then our weekly conversation with our very own Kevin Bowen. See where he is at from a Pacers announcement day yesterday, as well as what he's targeting the latest on 107.5thefan.com with training camp fast approaching. Back after this on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. It's a Friday. You're looking for something fun, something unique to do. Well, of course, you can find it here on the Fan Midday Show. But another way to do it is to plan ahead for future Fridays. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd here for the Fan Midday Show. The Fan on the Back 9 golf outing is fast approaching. Friday, August 18th from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at Back 9 Golf and Entertainment Center. You can enjoy... A weekend started off the right way with golf, food, and tournament-style games all taking place at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment. Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, JMV will be there. Check-ins are going to occur around 10 a.m. You'll have some lunch and officially get things underway at 11 all the way to 4.30, plus a silent auction taking place during the event. going to benefit this year's charity. There'll be sports memorabilia, one-of-a-kind experiences among those that you can bid on. And, of course, with each ticket purchased, those proceeds benefit the American Heart Association, whose mission is committed to protecting the hearts you love and together saving lines. For more information on that, go to 1075thefan.com. Get your tickets now. They will sell fast. Again, that's August 18th over at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. James, as we adjust our 
conversation away from the NBA for a little bit and go back big picture NFL these next two segments going to take a look inside with the Titans see where they're at with John Glennon in just a little bit it's fascinating to look at Tennessee with where they were a year ago knowing that yes it feels like now present day Jacksonville is the team to beat but they were still very much alive in that division race until the very end ultimately Jacksonville gets it Jacksonville wins a playoff game make it all the way to the divisional round and now you're expecting another leap forward from Jacksonville and a crash landing in Tennessee with where they're at as a franchise yeah I, I mean, mean that's just how it feels to me is that it, <laughs> they are back within they're closer now at least the way it's being portrayed to the Colts and the Texans than they are the Jaguars. At least the vibe it appears to be nationally. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think they took some steps back. Obviously, last year was a disaster from their standpoint to have that sort of start and then literally just, like you said, kind of crash and burn towards the end was not good. We'll see how it looks with Ryan Tannehill because even though I don't think Will Levis was drafted right now to be his replacement, start week one and all that I mean it has to be a factor right like okay um I've been the guy but they just drafted another guy who could be the guy and I know a lot of the hype has been around the three first round quarterbacks but to take a quarterback in the second round is still a big commitment and so you just wonder is there gonna be a a changing of the guard a new regime so to speak and then also Derrick Henry like how long can he be Derrick Henry, who to me is still arguably the best running back in the NFL because he just, mm-hmm. he's a cyborg. You know, things just don't, things that he does, other people can't do. I look at him and I'm like, we're not the same species. You're not from here. You're not a human <laughs> being. You are an alien sent here to just show us how superior your your um, species is. So we'll see how it goes, but I definitely think that it'll be interesting to check in with John and see what specifically is going on with the Titans, what direction they want to go in, how feasible a guy like you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is to the mix. Is it possible? Is it not? And you just wonder, what do they do? Because to me, it feels like every team has a direction in the division, but the Titans. Because you kind of want to hang on to whatever you have left with Derrick Henry, but also it's never really been enough to get you to where you want to go. They usually out ugly people and win games, but that doesn't work very well come playoff time because they don't score enough consistently to do so. A lot of that has to do with obviously Ryan Tannehill over the years and the offense that they've had, lack of weapons and things like that. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll get that from John Glennon, covers the Titans for the Nashville Post. When we come back here on the Fan Midday Show. Still here, vibing out, rocking out on this fine Friday afternoon in the drivehewler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook. Listen to the Fan Midday Show. We've been rocking and rolling with a lot of NBA talk today. I feel like it's fitting because of Summer League and the Pacers and what decisions they've made to extend Tyrese Halliburton to bring in other players. But the NFL is always king. And as we pivot to more NFL-related topics, we have John Glennon on the line. He covers the Titans, another rival of the Colts for um, the Nashville Post, and also covers their Predators as well in the NHL. So, John, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and we'll start with 
the quarterback position. What's going on in Nashville? How does it look? How do you see it playing out, given that they still have Ryan Tannehill, but they did draft another quarterback, obviously, in Will Levis, who, again, it wasn't a first-round pick, but it was, in my opinion, a pretty significant investment because it still was a second-round pick and at that position. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've they've taken swings now in the the last couple of drafts at at kind of that that quarterback of the future. You know, the year before it was Malik Willis. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year it was uh, was Will Levis. And, you know, I I think um, I I would say that that Levis had kind of a a good, not great offseason, you know, probably typical of a a rookie QB. Um, You know, had an incredible arm, you know, maybe some, some accuracy. Uh, some touch needs to be tuned up a little bit, but I think you know, as far as the Titans overall, I, I think you know Ryan Tannehill right now remains head and shoulders above you know either of those guys um, as the clear-cut starter going into the season. You know the the downside of Ryan Tannehill obviously is in the last year uh, of his deal. He's he's uh, on the verge of turning 35, and he's coming off ankle surgery. Um, but you know, still his um, you know his, his resume, obviously his comfort with the with the coaching staff here, um, and you know the, the talent he displayed. You know, uh, despite a, not a ton of personnel around him last year, you know I, I think still puts him in the in the driver's seat, no question. John, none of us are going to doubt Mike Vrabel, and would it be surprised if he's able to turn these Titans into a team that's making some noise at some point in the back half of the 2023 season. But when you look at all the changes that they've gone through, a couple changes around the coaching staff, new general manager, all the moves that have been made over the last couple of months, and you look at the state of the AFC South, what is the identity of the Titans organization in 2023? Because it feels like from afar, depending on how chips fall for them, they could be a team that, that's stuck in the middle and not like some years where that's good enough to still contend in the AFC South. Yeah, you know, I, I guess uh, their identity until proven otherwise it certainly revolves around Derrick Henry. And, uh, you know, even though Derrick Henry is getting up in, in years uh, a bit and perhaps the numbers are sliding just a tiny, tiny bit on Derrick Henry, you know, until the Titans you know show us something different. That's uh, that's their, you know, ground and pound kind of football team, score 20 points and hope the defense holds the other team to, to 17 kind of a situation. I think, you know, overall picture of the Titans, I, I think defensively, it's going to be a pretty solid team. You know, they get Harold Landry back, who missed the entire uh, last season after an ACL. You know, they had a couple of nice uh, additions, uh, free agency-wise, Sean Murphy, Bunting, Aziz Alshire. I think the defense is going to be pretty solid. It wasn't awful last year. The the real questions for this team and, and you know, what will dictate whether they contend in the AFC South or not are a number of questions on the offense. And that starts in the offensive line. You've only got one guy coming back as a returning starter. And, by the way, he just got suspended for the first six games of the season in Nicholas Petit-Frere. You've got a lot of questions at wide receiver. Traylon Burks, you know, was a first-round pick last year um, and then flashed some potential, but, but not a lot of experience there. Um, and you've got a new offensive coordinator in Tim Kelly. So I think, you know, if, if the Titans are able to boost their offense, you know, a bit from last year, again, you know, as you referenced, we're, we're still talking about the AFC South here. You don't have to be a great, great team to contend for a division title and, and make a playoff run. Um, if, if they can boost that offense, you know, they'll, they'll be in the mix. 
Uh, if not, uh, could be another uh, another season that, that looked like the end of last year. John, there's been so much discussion about running backs, their value, the contracts. Why do you think Derrick Henry has been the exception sort of to the rule? Because I look at some of these paydays that guys have had, and I don't look at his as ever being an overpay or a bad contract because contrary to usually the trend, he's been able to, like you said, kind of stave off the decline. Like he's been arguably a top five running back in the NFL for the last half decade, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I mentioned there a minute ago that, that maybe the, the numbers are a touchdown or excuse me, you know, a slight bit down, I should say, from, from maybe previous years, but still that said, you look what he did last year, 349 <laughs> carries for 1,500 yards and 13 touchdowns. That's, you know, unbelievable numbers for, for anybody else. And we're saying, oh, what's what's up with Derrick Henry there? So, you know, I, I think a, a lot of years he has sort of represented a bit of a security blanket um, for this offense. You know, the, over these years, uh, we, we haven't seen great passing attacks from the Tennessee Titans and I think you know some of these offense coordinators whether it was Arthur Smith who's now the head coach in Atlanta or Todd Downing you know who's now with the with the Jets you know I, I think they felt very very comfortable you know if the passing game was uh, shaky in the least bit okay we can always turn turn around and hand <laughs> the ball off to Derrick Henry he's probably not going to let us down uh, um, and he's also one of those backs too that the longer the game goes on, he gets better because he wears down opponents. And the longer the season goes on, you know, he traditionally gets better in the second half. Same kind of reason because he stays fresh. The defenses are the ones that falter. So I think, uh, you know, the Titans have been aware of that over the years and we're aware that if you want to get the best Derrick Henry, you have to give him volume, uh, you know, in terms of amounts of carries. Um, and, and really... Uh, you know, uh, then you look at last year. Well, all of a sudden, you know, as we mentioned, there's not much of a passing attack there at all with AJ Brown gone. So that's even more reason to turn that uh, turn around and, and put that ball in Derrick Henry's belly. Yeah, I think a Derrick Henry handoff has been a great play ever since he started playing football <laughs> at every level. It's like I just just give it to this guy, this big huge guy who looks like a DN who can just um, obviously make some things happen that are pretty special. But when you talk about what he means to this team, how do they try to build around him? Like, for example, we've heard a lot of the DeAndre Hopkins chatter. For Is that something that is realistic, or, or how do you view that? I think it has to be. It better be realistic for the Titans in, in their <laughs> pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins because, you know, you, you look at that wide receiver room, and, and as I kind of touched on earlier, you know, you got Traylon Burks, there's a lot of potential, I think, with Traylon Burks, and, and he looked really good this offseason after sort of an up-and-down rookie year that you know was impacted by injuries and conditioning and so forth. I think there's going to be a big jump for Traylon Burks, but still it hasn't been proven for, for him yet. Uh, and behind him, you know, you've got another rookie and like a slot guy in, in Kyle Phillips. You've got a, you know, a, a veteran guy in Chris Moore, a, a Hoosier in, in uh, Nick Westbrook-Akina. Who uh, you know who's is a good role player, but nothing really special among that group outside of Traylon Burks. And you need someone to to balance out uh, you know coverages in, in terms of what Traylon Burks is going to be 
um, facing, uh, and you just need more targets for for Ryan Tannehill. So I, I think. You know, it's critical for for the Titans to you know to to do as much of this pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins, potentially land him uh, if possible. You know, I, I don't think they like to be put in this position where they're where they're kind of desperate, but they are. Uh, um, you know, so they got to be right there and and uh, you know trying to match the Patriots and whoever else comes into play for DeAndre Hopkins. John Glennon of the Nashville Post with us here on the Fan Midday Show. John, go back to Derrick Henry for just a second. We've had the never-ending conversation here in Indianapolis about Jonathan Taylor, what his future is going to hold, what the Colts decide to do with him from a contract standpoint. There's five years separating these two with Henry obviously being 29 when the season begins this year, but he'll be on an expiring contract come 2024 and have an opportunity to potentially go elsewhere next season. As you look at him being, I don't want to call him the last of his breed of this dominant high-level caliber running back, but the league changes year over year with how much money they're willing to pay that position. What does Derrick Henry's future hold, not just with the Titans, but within his time in the NFL, and how much of that is dictated by what this season does for him? Yeah, I think it's going to be a certainly a huge one for him. You know, he he does turn the uh, the, the dreaded forty or excuse not forty that would be a shocker. <laughs> uh, he does turn thirty in in January, and that of course is a scary age for for running backs. Um, you know, the the good news uh, as, as we've talked about is you know, kind of each year, maybe in the last two or three, you you keep thinking. Uh, that that Derrick Henry is going to take more of a plunge, that he's going to fall off that that dreaded cliff. And while his numbers have ticked down a bit, um, you know we we haven't seen that that big fall. And and you know some of the reasons given, you know uh, as you look back in in Derrick Henry's first three years, he wasn't used nearly as much as he has been for say the last four. You know he only his first two seasons he only started four games. Uh, it wasn't really toward, until towards the end of that third year that he really started to pick up the pace. But he never had more than, uh, I think, 200 or so carries in those first three years. So maybe in the in the long run, that has saved him a little bit. Maybe there's a little bit more tread left on the tires of Derrick Henry uh, because of that. Um, you know, I, I think Derrick Henry certainly would love to stick around at Nashville. Um, you know, following uh, following the coming season, he is he has certainly said as much. Um, that said, the Titans also drafted a uh, pretty good running back in the uh, in the third round in uh, in Tajay Spears. Um, you know, we we don't know for sure whether what how what Tajay Spears' long term outlook is going to be because he's had knee problems. Uh, in the past, but he's looked at as a guy, you know, one of the first things that Titans general manager Rand Carthen said about Tajay Spears was that this guy is a three down back. And immediately you started to think, okay, is this, you know, down the road, is, is he the guy that's going to replace Derrick Henry? So it's uh, it's hard to imagine, you know, the cases are so few and far between now of, of running backs getting extended and, and getting uh, big money. It's just hard to imagine, uh, honestly, the Titans, you know, putting a lot of money into into a thirty year old running back uh, at that point. That said, you know what what the public is going to say if you uh, if you let Derrick Henry walk away at that point. Uh, so it, it it should be an interesting situation. John, you mentioned him earlier, Nicholas Petit Frere. 
how big of a loss is it to lose him for those six games to start the season, given the gambling suspension? And then also, what have you been able to glean from the Titans about what they've been teaching their players as far as the gambling rules and, and why this can't happen again, I would assume, because obviously they've had the same sort of problems here in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I, I would say, first of all, it's, it's a, a significant loss because even though Nicholas Petit-Frere is only going into his second year, he's kind of penciled in as the only returning starter on the offensive line at the same position as last year. You've got one other guy, Aaron Brewer, is a returning starter, but he's likely to move from left guard to left center. So you're at left tackle, you've got a free agent in there at left guard. You've got a rookie in, in the first-round draft pick, Peter Skaronsky, uh probably. And, and then at right guard, uh, uh, you know, Daniel Brunskill, a free agent signee, too. So there's already a lot of questions, you know, surrounding the Titans' offensive line. So when you take someone who is familiar with the staff, with the system and so forth, and knock him out for the first six games, you know, that that's going to make life very difficult indeed. And, and to the second part of your question, it, it is interesting – to sort of uh, try to get a sense of what Nicholas Petit at Frere and the rest of the Titans knew about gambling because, interestingly enough, in, in an interview before this suspension came down, uh, you know, Nicholas Petit Frere uh, was asked by the Tennessean, you know, a, a, about, um, you know, I think some of the other NFL suspensions, uh, and, you know, including the Colts. And uh, he said that, you know, really the NFL and the Titans really hadn't given them the kind of information he would have liked to have seen. Um, you know, that th- there hadn't been enough knowledge, despite the fact that Nicholas Petit-Frere, who is a pretty bright guy, said he felt like he asked a lot of questions. So, um, you know, on, on one hand, you wonder, okay, are the, are the Titans and the NFL making enough of an effort here? If they weren't, I guarantee you, it's going to be stepped up now because I'm sure the NFL wants to nip this kind of thing in the bud right away. On, on the other hand, you know, we haven't seen a ton of these kinds of suspensions. You know, Nicholas Petit-Frere was, was gambling, not NFL-related in the facility. And, and you would assume if, if the Titans and the NFL were completely remiss in, in providing info on these rules, you know, wouldn't there maybe be more suspensions we're looking at? I, I don't know. So, you know, you, you can you can see both sides of that, but certainly Nicholas Petit Frere, as I say, a pretty bright guy, did not feel like he had been properly informed, informed, and that was before word of the suspension came down. John, you've been covering sports for a, quite a while. Do you think it's a factor of them growing up in a different era, the athletes I'm referring to, when it comes to the sports betting and just how prevalent it is? Because even I'm 27, even five years ago when I was in college, you couldn't bet on games like you do now in all these different states. And so do you think that could be a reason why we've seen an uptick in sort of this sort of behavior? Because I think just personally from now to looking at maybe it is a bit of a transition period, given that you might have been in college a year ago, like Nicholas, for example, two years ago he was at Ohio State and he could bet on whatever, and then now he goes to the NFL and it's like, oh, the rules are different now. Yeah, I, I think so. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, people from 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 my uh, yesteryear, if you will, you know, I mean, gambling was 
you know, as as uh, as, as off limits as you could possibly imagine for for anything. And and uh, you know that that like many things over the years has has completely changed. Uh, so I'm sure you know, yeah, if you're if you're Nicholas Petit Frere and you're you're a young guy and you're you know used to playing, you know, uh, uh, betting on on random things, whether you're in college or, or whatever, I'm, I'm sure. You don't see it as you know what we did in 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 years past as as such a an absolute evil, uh, you know, and especially in the case as, as I mentioned, Nicholas Petit Frere, this was not a case where he was betting, uh, you know, on the Titans right. or on anything NFL related. He was just betting on you know other sporting events, um, and and so you know it's easy to see where an NFL player could go wrong in in that regard because he hey he'd been doing it you know, in, in college or whatever, and, and perhaps he hadn't been informed, um, you know, as, as well as he needed to be. So, yeah, it's it's easy to see it go wrong. Um, uh, you know, but on the other hand, if, if we're the NFL, I, I can certainly see why you want to absolutely nip this kind of thing in the bud because the last thing you want is, is you know, fans or, you know, people watching on TV, anything, anything like that to kind of question, you know, uh, the competitors or the competition. So I'm sure, uh, unfortunately for these guys, the NFL is, is making quite an example uh, out of them. John, for far too long, even when the Titans are a couple years removed from being a one seed and a couple years removed from an appearance in the AFC championship game, despite all of that, the last couple of seasons and through that stretch, the AFC South has still been viewed as a cesspool of just struggles and ugly football at times. I, I know the Titans have been the the the, the top of that mountain, <laughs> like and, and I, know, I, know that, I know that none of the fan bases <laughs> like hearing that, but it's what it's been. And now all of a sudden, we have. Uh, we have Trevor Lawrence looking like he's going to be the next great quarterback, and you have this full shift from a front office standpoint of. Oh man, we need to figure out who our quarterbacks are going to be. Anthony Richardson's now in the division. CJ Stroud's in the division. Will Levis has a timeline of being in this division. As you look at how quickly things can change in the NFL, what is the what is the ceiling or what's most likely to happen amongst the South as they have multiple faces of the franchise potentially transitioning into new faces over the next two, three years? Yeah, in terms of this coming season, I, I think certainly, as, as odd as it might sound to, to all of us, I, I would certainly say the uh, the road to the AFC South title has to go through Jacksonville uh, at, at this point. You <laughs> wow, know, did I, not I, guess that. I, I pinched I myself too, don't worry. I, don't <laughs> I, I, I agree, but you know, gosh, you, you look at you know how, how they sort of had a, you know the breakout season last year, and then you add Calvin Ridley, uh, this year to a team, you know, on offense, it's already got, you know, uh, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, you know, Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram, and, and of course, Trevor Lawrence, you know, beginning to, to turn into a, to a kind of a star quarterback there. So, I, you know, if they can answer some questions defensively, uh, I, I think they're probably the team to beat this year. Uh, I, I'm interested to watch the Titans this year because let's remember one thing about the Titans is they have had an astronomical amount of injuries the last two years you know in 2021 they set the NFL record for the for the number of players used in a single season I believe it was 91 and then last year they came close to hitting that mark again I think it was 86 or so 86 or 87 last year so if they can have just an average year of injuries I'm kind of curious as as to what you know whether they can 
bounce back. Uh, you know, it's interesting. This team was seven and three. The Titans were seven and three last year, uh, just before hitting the skids and, and losing their last seven games in a row. And, and of course, you know, Tannehill was out four or five of those. Um, so, you know, I, I still think the Titans might have a say in, in where things go in the division. And, and I, I still think maybe, you know, with, with CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson, you know, coming in as, as uh, I would assume likely starters right away, you know, I, I still probably think they're growing pains. I would assume for, for the, um, you know, for the Colts and Texans, so we'll see that's sort of the hierarchy of the, uh, of the cesspool. As we will, uh, as we will call it, in, in my mind, at uh, at this point, John. The the last thing I'll ask is because I'm very curious about this. Since I saw Derrick Henry walking into the stadium there in Tennessee, <laughs> what is it like to stand next to him? It like is is it? Because I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, he's huge on TV. But what is it like to see him in person? And does it feel different? Because I, I, in all jokes aside. I think that I would put him in that same species of athlete as an Anthony Richardson while I kind of look at Anthony Richardson sometimes and I'm like, wow, whatever God sprinkled on you, you're just different. I completely agree. He, let me tell you, he gets no smaller in person. I will, uh, <laughs> I will, I will say that. And it's, you know, it's always uh, fascinating to me, you know, if, if uh, you, know, you know, follow Derek Henry on, on Instagram or whatever, you know, he, he the guy loves, uh, to work out, he's one of those rare birds who, you know, not only is doing it just because it's good for him, but but just can't get enough of it. So you know, every year, especially especially when he when he first comes back, you know, at training camp or you see him during the off season, and it, it's just you know muscles on top of muscles, and and you're saying no way this guy's a running back. You know, he belongs in the in the you know the edge rusher group or. <laughs> You know the uh, the defensive line group or, or something like that. Um, just uh, such an impressive sight, and uh, I, I agree with you. Just a, a rare, rare bird, and, and that's why I say, you know, we talked about it earlier. Kind of every every year, you start thinking, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is the year where where things really start to slow down for a guy with, you know, with a lot of carries and then some years starting to build up. But boy, that that off season regimen and what he looks like and what he does to defenders every year, uh, you know, has, has kept him uh, one of the top backs in the game. I tell you what, Colts fans will be very happy whenever his reign ends. That's for sure. <laughs> um, John, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks so much for your time, and I'll see you down the line. Okay, enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Again, that's John Glennon covers the Tennessee Titans for the Nashville Post. Obviously covers the Predators as well for the NHL. He does all these things. It was kind of fun to coordinate with him because he's like, hey, I'm doing this for the Preds, doing this for the Titans. And I was like, all right, whatever works for you, my man. And so um, great having him on. Always good to see what's going on down south. We'll continue those conversations as things move forward towards training camp around the NFL. We'll keep it local, though, when we return our very own Kevin Bowen. Get an opportunity to talk with Tyrese Halliburton a couple days ago. Big extension for Tyrese Halliburton as the future of the Indiana Pacers becomes clear. We'll discuss that with Kevin Bowen when we come back. KB! Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd in the drivehuber.com studios. Talked a lot of NBA and got our NFL fix, at least in a different section of the AFC South with John Glennon in the last segment. We keep it back local here with the fans' own Kevin Bowen. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Uh, KB, before we get in the nitty-gritty today, we had a conversation, myself and James Boyd did before we went on air, about how he's worried about sunburn, sun protection when he's out there at training camp. He's looking for a bucket hat or any good advice there. You're a seasoned vet. Do you have any any guidance for our friend? Boy, uh, first time I think I've ever been asked for SPF advice here. <laughs> um, I, I am a big fan of the bucket hat. James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I've seen you rocking a bucket hat before. Am I totally imagining things with that? I think, I think you're imagining it, but, but it will happen because <laughs> I was a rookie last year. I did not know how hot it got out there in Westfield. And I remember coming home one random day to visit my family up in Illinois, and they were like, boy, you have gotten dark. And I was like, yes, I've been out there working. <laughs> Yeah, I, I cannot say my family has ever said that about myself. Like, <laughs> holy, you know, Kevin, you're a lobster. But, uh, yes, I am very much being bucket hat. Now, a lot of morning practices. So, again, not to act like I know, like, what the UV situation is like at 10 a.m. in the morning in Hamilton County in early August. But, I don't know, maybe that will benefit. Not a lot of, like, noon or 1 p.m. practices. Hell, I don't even know if any of them are, like, noon or 1 p.m. Maybe one of those weekend practices are. But pretty much it's, like, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., or... 6 p.m. for the practice. Yeah, and I'm liking that. I mean, I'm I'm a get up and get it over with type of guy, so I don't mind getting out and getting the the blood flowing and doing our work earlier and ending my day by 3 p.m. I'm looking forward to that for sure. (laughs) You and me both, then. Kev, let's go to the Pacers to start things off. You and I had talked about it last week and how likely and imperative it was to get that long-term rookie-designated extension with Tyrese Halliburton. They're able to do that, and they have a clear now franchise cornerstone moving forward. Take us through your reaction covering all that and then the comments obviously made to the media yesterday. Yeah, I... Obviously, it's huge, huge news. You know, I've said this before about Tyrese Halliburton. I just don't have, like, oh, my gosh, it didn't work out for Paul George, Victor Oladipo. Tyrese is going to be in the same boat. Um, I think he's a different person. I think he's surrounded by different people. I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, actions to me speak louder than words. And, you know, if you look at the contract, sure, there are reasons why he didn't want a player option on that. But, you know, he could have opted for that. And the fact that his team – did not, you know, I think that is a good sign. I mean, that's something that they easily could have done to try and get out a little bit earlier. I'm not mistaken, by not doing that, he can make more money in that max contract if he hits that all-NBA team here over the next handful of seasons. But still, that's something that, you know, a player could offer some control for himself. And, again, Halliburton and his team did not do that. So I continue to be of the thought process that this can and will end differently. Of course, you know, six years is a long, long, long time in professional sports, and the Pacers have got to do their part to build and continue to build a championship type of team around him. Uh, and if they do that, you know, I think this is a marriage that will, uh, will extend longer than just this first extension. 
I agree wholeheartedly. And I also just, I cannot wrap my mind around a quarter of a billion dollars. I should have worked on my jump shot, KB. You know, I like writing, but I don't know. It seems like that was a hell of a career path to Tyrese. But you talk about building around him. Short term, one of those pieces is Bruce Brown. What do you think he adds to the mix, obviously, coming off a championship season in Denver? Yeah, I think he adds what your weekend that would start off on the defensive side of the ball. You know, in particular, you know, having that guy that can be a perimeter defender. So by all accounts, it sounds like he was going to be the guy that'll get those first assignments, whether it's Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, you know, whoever those kind of wing offensive players are that you're going to see next season. Uh, and then secondly, I, I also think he is, you know, brings part of an organization that he, he knows how to win. And it's certainly been in the playoffs uh, and made a deep playoff run here most recently. And I, I don't think it's too harsh to say, I don't think the Pacers really know how to win, or at least not a lot of guys in their roster have been there, uh, particularly deep into the playoffs, uh, especially here in recent seasons. So I think from that standpoint, again, he checks a couple of boxes where you lack or you don't have a whole lot of experience in a versatile guy, you know, if you're going to have a surplus of a position in the NBA, you'll have a surplus of guards and wings. There was a time when we looked at the Pacers roster and said, wow, they got a ton of point guards and centers, and I guess they still have a lot of centers right now. But uh, now I think you kind of make up a roster and think, okay, is this a starting unit? Is this a second unit? And it's a lot of, like, where do you fit the guards and wings? Well, again, that's a good problem to have, and that's why you pay Rick Carlisle, you know, whatever he makes a year, $7 million or something annually. Uh, so I like the Bruce Allen Brown fit. You know, I was saying this with Jake. I think maybe one of the aspects I like the most about the deal is that it's pretty much a contract year for Bruce Brown in that it's a two-year deal. Yep. The second year is, is a team option. I mean, that's going to – Bruce Brown doesn't strike me as a guy that, like, needs to have hunger. I mean, he, he just seems very self-motivated. But, you know, if he doesn't, whatever, live up to expectations or if the Pacers get to the end of the season and want to go in a different direction for whatever reason, they can do that. Um, so I, I think that's another aspect to this, that it, it's not just a, oh, my gosh, a guy has made a deep playoff run on a championship team and you're giving him a four- or five-year deal with massive money committed to him. No, I mean, you're, you're giving him a notable amount of money, but you're doing it on a one-year deal with a one-year team option. So you're in a lot of control here with this relationship. Kevin Bowen with us, one half of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan every weekday. You can follow him on Twitter at kbowen 1070 KB, when you look at both the NFL draft, you look at both rather the NBA draft and you look at NBA free agency, where did the Pacers in your mind get the most value or bang for their buck with all the different transactions that they've made? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, boy, that's a good Jimmy. Doesn't, Coach, ha- do- game. Do- doesn't yeah, have to be dollar amounts in, in my bag on the short week. I know it doesn't have to be dollar amounts necessarily, but but value on impact or just with the key directions of where things are building, we know how precise they have to be. Where'd you see the most value? Or, oh, I, I could see that working out. That's a nice nice move they made. Well, I don't know if this is exactly the answer, but um, I, I would say the most potential is in the OB Toppin move. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, it is two second-round picks. You know, stop a random Pacers fan on the street and say, all right, name me the last five second-round picks the franchise has made. And they're, and they're probably struggling to, to, to do that. And, you know, I, I've said this before about the Colts, and I think you know James has probably even heard me say this in the media room. You know, we, we, I think it matters more to the NBA as well. But when you're in a market like this, kicking the tires on a former first-round pick in the NFL, I think is always something that you entertain. In the NBA, kicking the tires on a former lottery pick 
is always something that makes a lot of sense, particularly when you are in a market like Indiana where, you know, acquiring lottery-type talent in free agency is difficult. And so you've got to, I think, do some creative ways to try and get that. And the Pacers have done that, whether it's Aaron Smith or even Jalen Smith, certainly Tyrese Halliburton. And now here with Obi Toppin, ironically, they all have to be in the same, same draft of that COVID draft. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And you know, something that I've brought up the last couple of days, it, it's a stat that's pretty wild to me. You know, Toppin was pretty much a log jam for playing time behind Julius Randle. But if you look at the 15 games he started in his career, he's a 44% three-point shooter in those 15 games, and he has attempted six threes per game in those 15 starts. That 44% number, it's 30% when he's coming off the bench. So that is a, I mean, that's a decent sample size, in my opinion, and it's a huge contrast in how he is as a starter versus as a reserve. So now the question is, why is that the case? You know, is he... You know, maybe he's you know playing the starting lineup, and that means he's the fourth or the fifth, fifth option. He gets cleaner looks. He's playing with a better point guard. I don't know, but obviously here in Indiana, he's going to be playing with a great point guard. He's probably not going to be the first or the second option. You know, even if he's with that second unit. So I think based off potential, I think he's the one that I'm most intrigued by, and he's also in the contract year, which again you would think he'd be highly motivated. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that works out, mainly because I think that Obi's going to get six to eight points a night just by running the floor. If you just run, he's going to get some trash buckets, some open threes and things like that. But to pivot away from Pacers land, we got Colts training camp, got the schedule sent to us recently, KB. How do you think that first day at camp will be when Anthony Richardson throws for the first time in front of the Indianapolis public? Yeah, start building a statue next to Joey Chestnut in Westfield, Indiana. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's going to be gobs and gobs of intrigue. I mean, there's going to be tons of national media there, I would assume, for that first practice. I mean, the Colts, have, this is really kind of unforeseen for the franchise, particularly here recently, of having a quarterback with anywhere near this amount of intrigue. And, again, I think that goes league-wide, considering he is such a unicorn of a resume, of a prospect. I mean, it's really rare in the NFL to see a guy with this little experience be drafted fourth overall and, now you see how it all comes together. So I'm expecting big crowds at Grand Park. I mean, obviously the reps and how those get split up and how he looks and the amount of consistency he shows and the debate about should he start week one or not, all of that will, you know, dominate the the storylines. And, you know, outside of that, certainly Shaquille Leonard and his health will be a big one for for day one. But, I mean, this is going to be, in my opinion – um, and I don't even think it's much debate, but easily the most highly anticipated training camp that the franchise has had in probably over a decade. Kevin Bowen with us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. KB, as James kind of mentioned with training camp and all the storylines that are going to take place there, the one that we've continued to have discussions about is Jonathan Taylor's extension and whether or not that's something that gets done before the season starts or if it's something that is looming throughout the entirety of the 2023 campaign. When you look at where their position as a franchise right now and the value that they have placed in the past on keeping their own and wanting to retain that talent and knowing where Jonathan Taylor is at at this point in his career, how likely is it with this franchise that something is done sooner rather than later? Yeah, I would think the Taylor extension has a better chance to get done than the Pittman one. 
Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm trying to think of when these extensions have occurred. I want to say the Quentin Nelson one occurred just before the start of. Oh, last I remember season. we were at a restaurant <laughs> in Houston, and I was about to have some of the best Mexican food of my life, and Quentin Nelson just ruined. Well, actually, not the dinner for me because I was new on the beat, but Zach Kiefer had to handle that one. I was just scarfing down my food, looking at him like, oh, this is the NFL. This is, this is not it. What is going on? Why do we have to do this right now? So, yes, I remember Quentin's distinctly. James is at peace yeah. with that, as you can tell. Clearly, yeah, clearly he's, he's gotten over it. So, yeah, I, I, I think Anthony Costanza's extension happened kind of similar 48 hours before the start of the season. It, it, it seems like you either have them happen before camp or before the start of the year, you know, kind of falls into one of those two sections. The Shaquille Leonard one, I think, might have been at some point during camp. So, again, I think there is a lot of mutual interest between Taylor and the Colts to want to get something done. You know, Pittman's one that, I don't know, it seems a little bit harder to kind of get a grasp of because, you know, there is a guy that has not put up, I think, top 15, top 12 wideout type of production. But, you know, if you're in the Pittman camp, I think you have some leverage and say, hey, Colts, what have you done to all these quarterbacks that my client has played with? Oh, yeah, you've moved on from all those quarterbacks that my client has had to play with. So you've told your entire fan base what you think of the quarterbacks that Michael has, has had to play with. So um, if you put competent quarterback play on the field, then I think my client deserves you know, to be paid like a, like a you know, pretty top-flight wideout. So um, I think at the end of the day, having said all of that, I think both will be Colts long-term. But exactly how of it all how it all plays out, um, I think will be fascinating. Not only just in our market because we care, but you know, league wide, I think the Taylor storyline is huge considering he's a running back. And, and even the, I think the Pittman one's interesting because you know he falls a little bit into this age group with the AJ Browns and the DK Metcalfs and the Debo Samuels of the world. But obviously, he hasn't produced at that level. So, are we still giving wideouts like big big money? Um, I I think we are. I assume we are. So you know, where does Pittman? exactly fit there as you you know in my opinion you just can't shortcut or skimp any any sort of wide receiver uh, production for Anthony Richardson so that's why I, I would extend Pittman even if he hasn't been this you know whatever top 13 wide out in the league do you think there's equal desire from both Michael Pittman Jr. and his representation as well as the Colts to look at the type of extension that he potentially deserves while also acknowledging that maybe that's a higher dollar amount if he finally does have consistency and competency under center? Yeah, uh, that's, yeah uh, that's, that's good. I, I, think, um, I think if and when Michael Pittman signs an extension here in Indianapolis, you're going to have a lot of people that be like, what? For that amount? Like, I mean, people are going to be, like, really upset about it. But, again, I don't think we can have this conversation without context. Right. And and I just laid out what some of that context is from a quarterback standpoint. That's part of it. And then the other part is no shortcuts with how you support Richardson, particularly at the pass-catching spot. Like, if you, you know, if you look at two guys that get to comp to Anthony Richardson the most, I would say it's Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Look at Josh Allen's career when they got Stephon Diggs. Look at Jalen Hurts' career when he got A.J. Brown. Like, you know, these guys took it to another level. And I'm not saying Pittman is that guy. You, know, you can make the argument you still need to go out and try and get that guy. But you, you cannot, cannot all of a sudden say, yeah, see, Michael Pittman, you're going to walk, and we're going to bank on Alec Pierce becoming the number one wideout for you. Um, that, that, to me, is the last thing you can do. I think it's such an important 
inflection point, if you will, for organizations. I think Jacksonville felt this last offseason. When you have the rookie contract quarterbacks, if you don't make sure that guy is you know, very confident within the first three or four years of his NFL career, that might be the end of it. You know, trying to resurrect a guy. You know, Ryan Tannehill is an outlier. I mean, the, the guys just do not resurrect their careers at 29 and 30 years old at that position very often. So Jacksonville went all in on, on a bunch of guys that, you know, you wouldn't consider deserving of that money last offseason in free agency, particularly the pass catchers, like Christian Kirk and like Evan Ingram and like some of those other guys that they brought in, and it worked out. So that's how I kind of view Pittman. It's, he plays a position that's just way too valuable, particularly when you have a really, really young quarterback. So I think the value is going to catch people by surprise, and people are going to be like, oh, he's not worth that. But part of it is just receivers mean that much, particularly when you have a young quarterback. That's the plain truth, I believe. And I think also when it comes to money, one of the conversations we continue to, at least in my neck of the woods on the Colts beat, is in regard to Shaq Leonard. Like, how much money is he worth? Is he still worth being around? So how pivotal do you think this season is for him, KB, when it comes to his health and his performance and potentially returning, hopefully, I would say for his sake, to being the maniac? Yeah, James, I feel like it's almost two separate questions with Leonard. Like, when is he going to get back? And then is he ever going to sniff maniac status again? Uh, Because I think those are just two very, very different questions, and you really can't even seriously entertain the second one until we see him consistently on the field with the first one. Because I I just don't think that we saw that last year out of him. you know, it's kind of wild to think about EJ Speed, who's playing behind Leonard, and think to my, you know, think to myself, you know, EJ Speed is so de- his playing time this year is so dependent on Leonard. I mean, if Leonard's yeah. healthy, you know, EJ Speed might barely play as a third linebacker. If Leonard is out for substantial periods of time, EJ Speed's on the field for every snap alongside Zaire Franklin. So it's kind of wild how that player is impacted so much by Leonard. But this team obviously missed a game changer on defense. Uh, Stephon Gilmore provided some of that. Now he is no longer here, so making sure you have that in Leonard if he's able to get back there would be obviously a dream scenario, but I I just can't even go there just yet. I mean, we've seen the guy have two back surgeries in the last 13 months, and he's played less than 100 snaps, and when he was out there for those you know, 70 or 75 snaps, you could argue, I think make a decent argument, he was a liability compared to what you're used to with him, so... Yeah, in any other non-Anthony Richardson training camp, that storyline would obviously dominate things. It takes a little bit of a back burner, given Richardson. But still, um, given how much money he makes and how much longer he's under contract, it goes without saying how important he would be to, again, giving that defense something that just not every defense has. KB, always appreciate you making time for us. We wish you a great weekend, and I'll leave you with this. We've been plugging the fan on the back nine on August 18th as much as we can. And no disrespect to Jake and JMV because they swing the club, at least from that video, better than I do, but it's criminal not to have you taking a drive over at the back nine in the promo (laughs) video that was just released. That's all I'm saying. I need the good stuff. Whoa. Did they, did they edit my edit my shots out? I haven't I haven't seen the video yet. I, I, it just was put up there, and I only maybe I missed it, but I only saw Jake and I only saw JMV take a shot up there. I was wow. hoping for some KB action. Well, you know what? I will be fully transparent. JMV hit one that I thought was going to hit the Salesforce Tower. Uh, JMV has got a golf swing, and he can mash it. A uh, Jake, uh, maybe let's just say Jake's a good British Open player. Like to keep the ball a little bit more under the wind. Uh, you know, kind of keep it low, keep it keep it rolling a little bit. 
Uh, but yeah, I might have to bring that up with the with the video crew. I mean, I was I was doing Happy Gilmore Man. swings during that during that video. <laughs> he was cut and he it. didn't even get the call. Man, that's, Man. that's brutal. It's a tough business, my friend. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, seventh grade basketball tryouts all over again. Have a great weekend, KB. Appreciate you. All right, boys. Have a good one. We'll have bets after this on the fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my play. This is how I win. This is Speed Round with your bets to close out a Friday Taking the Yankees on the money line. Red Sox laying one and a half on the run line. Guardians on the money line. Reds on the money line. Dodgers on the money line. Eddie, you're not here next week. You're on vacation. Yep. What do you like for the home run so, derby? So uh, for the home run derby, I've, I got Pete Alonzo winning it all. As a caveat to that, I'm going Julio over Adolis Garcia. That's plus 2,500. Uh, Alonzo plus 300. I like uh, over 276 and a half home runs in total for this one. James, we don't have time to give you a clean goodbye, but we'll have you in here next week, I believe. So looking forward to that as well. Special thanks to Sam Quinn, Ian Bagley, John Glenn, and Kevin Bowen. NBA Summer League starts tonight, right with JMB's next. <laughs>